Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Well, what up, High Fivers? Uh, it's your boy, High Five Tom, and I know uh, the Chopping Up series, as you can read in the notes here, has been on hiatus. I do apologize, uh, but there is a special reason uh, that we're doing episode 3.14. Um, as I've got my very good friend, uh, Mr. MGB Graham. Graham, how are you this evening? I'm good. Is that a reference to Pi by any chance? It, wow, you know, it you just know, might be. You know, um, it, it just might be. So, obviously, uh, you being a teacher of the math, um, and you actually can do math without taking your shoes off. Uh, m- yeah. m- many people can't nowadays. So, um, yeah, it's so funny. You remember as a kid, like I said, all the, all the teachers like, all the, and I, I like math. I'm a pretty, I'm pretty decent math, but right. Like, what are you going to walk around with a calculator in your pocket? Yeah. And 20 years later, well, we all got calculators and computers in our pockets now. So, um, we do. And in general, our standards in math have probably declined. So I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but I, I understand what they're saying. But for, yeah, for basic math, for checking things, it's good. But you still have to know when answers are reasonable and when they're correct, because there's a lot of people that don't know what to put on that calculator. So it's really important that it's not just, people oversimplify that. And it kind of, as a math person, it kind of pisses me off a little bit. But I think learning those basic skills, if you skip over those basic skills, it stops you from being able to do further math further down the line. So it's still really important that the kids don't get the calculators super early because uh, right. they miss a lot of those important steps. But. Yeah. And well, I mean, it really kind of, especially as a young kid, I mean, not to get all space and everything, but it definitely helps your brain you know, think if, if nothing else. So, and um, I don't know how I can say this without throwing somebody on the bus. I'll just say one of my jobs, one of my managers cannot add for shit. We'll be, how do I put this without giving away a said job? Cause people know where <laughs> I work. Um, like we'll be moving things and there's a, like, um, I'm just going to say it. So we'll be doing bobbleheads and listen, <laughs> you know, you've got 24 in a box. And then, uh-huh. or I mean, how many boxes you need? And they said, he'll ask me like, as we're going, I'm like, well, just add, you know, six times 12 is 72. So there's 72 boxes right there. So I'm like, that's my manager. I'm like, and he's a smart dude. Don't get me wrong. But I said, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's hilarious. It's not just knowing the numbers. It's knowing what to do with those numbers. So you knew it was six times 12, but yeah, that's like, how you understand that concept. How yeah, do you like, know it wasn't six add 12, but that's how you, that's how you get from, that's a learning experience, of course. And yes. if you only show calculators, then that's a problem. But the other problem is, and I don't teach elementary school anyway. I teach high school, so it's a completely different matter. But most parents think they're helping their kids by showing them the algorithm. So if you want to multiply a two-digit number by a two-digit number, you get the pencil and paper out, you do your long multiplication. They miss all the important stuff, and they can't do simple questions. And it's same for addition and subtraction. They'll show them the algorithm. You borrow this number from here, blah, 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 blah. But then you got kids who can't do a thousand take away one without doing the algorithm, which is nonsense. Nine hundred ninety nine. It should be obvious, but they they skip over the kind of the rules of math or the common sense of math. But yeah, common sense is not so common anymore, unfortunately. N- nope. Yeah, Sean, it's my buddy Brian. My buddy for the chase, and but you'll see kids doing that, typing things in. Like I had, I taught AP calculus for a while. Um, I don't teach it anymore. Uh, I just focus on algebra one. But everything, two times three, they're typing it in on the calculator. I'm like, you're calculus kids? Like, really? And they're like, well, I'm just checking it. I'm like, I, under- I think it's nice that you're checking your answer, but do you really need to check two times three? 
Um, so it's calculator is definitely something that people can rely on too heavily when you shouldn't need it for most for for a lot of things. Yeah, it's it's really dumb, dumb people, and I could get my tinfoil hat on why that happened, but we'll leave that for another podcast. But, uh, but yeah, I um, thought we were going to talk some politics for a minute. There, I was just about to. <laughs> I know that you love to talk um, talk about that. Your favorite subject? Uh, I hate politics. Like my good friend Phil says, politics uh, prevents accountability. Um, so yeah, I hate politics. Um, I forgot where was it going. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we're back to chopping up three point one four. Um, and luck, and I've been very fortunate. This is uh, I get to record with Graham two nights in a row. Uh, so he's been stuck with me for pretty close to almost three and a half four hours now. Uh, with uh looking at this beautiful view that no one will see unless they break into my computer. Um, because this is all audio. So they just need to look on my uh, Twitter post. I, I posted oh, that's true. pictures of you because I was. Uh, I'm surprised you're willing to record with me for a second night after the last night. You were pulling your hair out. Like, oh, like, well, is this guy for real? Like his food takes and film takes are just appalling. Yeah, it's it's really funny how like this Will and I. I was just I was eating olives one time while we were recording, and Will's like, "What are you eating?" Olives? like, "What?" How it's like it's it's really cool how it's like morphed into its own thing. Yeah. Um. Like my, my good friends over at the Shining Wizards, the, one of their questions they ask most people, they don't ask everybody, is like, when's the last time you shit your pants? Because everyone's got a good shit in your pants story. Um, and it's a nice icebreaker. But now our thing is like, um, it's turning out to be like, what's your take on olives? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I don't want to ruin any good content. Um, having our, our good friend Mr. Diesel on sometime soon, but Diesel mm. loves olives. Oh, so, okay. so he's, yeah, he might make multiple appearances. Is it just the Wisconsin thing, or is that just? Am I just overgeneralizing? No, it seems like it seems widespread. It's oh, fucking banana. Okay. It's it's banana. I cannot believe the vitriol for olives. Um, it's great, but I love it. Uh, I do have a, a quick question. This is speaking before we kind of get started and everything. So we were talking about your horrible movie takes. Um, Caddyshack. I, I mentioned it to the boy. I haven't seen it in so long that I don't really remember it at all. Like okay. I haven't watched it in at least. 35 years probably um i remember a few scenes um i don't remember disliking it um, okay. and i did mention it to the boys that I, I said that might be something we were talking about different types of films and obviously jackson's way too young for most films but i said like in a few years i think that might be a film that you would probably like so yeah don't specifically remember much about it unfortunately long time and you do like ghostbusters right uh the original one yeah okay you didn't like the new one um, the last one that came out was appalling, in my opinion. I really? That, I don't think I could... I, I don't even remember if I made it to the end of it. Um, oh. But I remember going on Twitter afterwards and uh, absolutely slamming it and saying how bad it was. Interesting. So, okay. I mean, I'm not going to defend that movie. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I'm a, a nostalgia buff, so... Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, um, Ghostbusters was the first VHS tape that my parents bought me for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, I obviously, I've got a, you know, a nostalgia trip for Ghostbusters, so... Um, well, I saw on Facebook they've um the um the fire the fire and if I could talk it would help the uh, fire station that they have for that um they meant people were posting pictures there and everyone's like whoa this is really cool like where is it so they're like oh it's it's a real station like it's mm-hmm. in New York you can go see I didn't know it was in New York so I was like oh let me pull it up interestingly from my perspective when Matt came to New York and we were based in New Jersey. Uh, we were watching the independent events, and then we went to see the G1 at, uh, obviously, in uh, in Manhattan. We were only a few blocks away from 
where that fire station was. If I'd have known at the time, you can bet I would have definitely... We would have taken a five-block detour just to go see that. Um, but, yeah. Let's see here. That was 2000... I don't take a lot of pictures. Or is it... I took a ridiculous amount while I was in England this year. I, yeah, I'm not a picture guy, but no, we have a faith and we have a patch from it. Yeah, we've been there. Oh, you have? Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I was like, that's a, an iconic plate. I like. I would just assumed it was on a film set somewhere. I had no idea it was actually in New York itself. And it's really small. Like it's crazy. Oh, yeah, it like it's yeah. like, and like obviously on on the movies and everything it seems so much bigger. But it's cool. Yeah, they've got a big Ghostbusters logo right in front of it. Yeah. Um, they lean into it. You yeah. know. Oh, so cool. I mean, I mean, you know, the fire, the fire. Uh, well, fire people, fire men and women. Um, when you walk up, I mean, and you're like, I'm here for the Ghostbusters, aren't you? So, like, okay. <laughs> you know, and they sell merch, which all goes back to the fire department and everything. So, but uh, I know there was, there was somebody with one who, like, hey, look, look, make sure you're watching what's going on while you're taking your pictures and that, because it is still a working fire station. Right. So, they get called for an emergency. Like, get out of the way. Excuse me. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, t- you go ahead. You take your picture. We're, we're get- like, yeah, you still got to be kind of keep your wits about you while you're there. Yeah, because, I mean, all that stuff was filmed in Central Park and everything, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we did one on a little Ghostbusters tour a lot, or the... Well, that was two years ago. So, shout out to my buddy Rob on that one, so... Um, but, listen, I've, I've talked about a lot in, in previous podcasts. Um, the reasons I podcast, and I think I kind of went over it when this first started, is um, I usually put out a podcast for one of three reasons. Uh, one being is, obviously, to put something or somebody over. Uh, the other reason is to learn more about somebody or something and uh, three to say thank you. Uh, and obviously this podcast is pretty much all three um, in that case. So um, obviously Graham, I mean, for those that don't know if this is your first time uh, listening to chopping up with high five Tom or any of my other podcasts or any of Graham's podcasts, um, Graham's a big reason why I have a podcast um, probably besides Chad and diesel, probably the biggest influence. So thank you Graham for all your influence and you just needed a push. It was obvious to yeah. anybody that you should be recording a podcast, but we, we, I think we all remember our own initial, um, and not necessarily a reluctance, but kind of like those seeds of doubt, and like there's, I mean, everyone has a podcast, so it's like, why do we need an extra podcast? But no, it was, you just needed that little push to kind of reaffirm that, yeah, I should be doing this, and um, we were all right. Yeah, so, so thank you, Graham. So, uh, I mean, I do appreciate that, so. Um, I think one of the quotes is, if you're thinking of doing a podcast, you should do it. It's kind of a simple thing. Even if the thought enters your head, as soon as that enters your head, at that point, you should just go ahead and do it. Um, It doesn't have to be, and I don't know what you're like. For me, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Uh, Matt's the complete opposite. Um, And when we were setting up different podcasts, like everything had to be kind of right. And when you start a podcast, if when you've never done it before... There's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot of stuff to learn. You got to learn how to edit. You got to learn how to record. You got to learn how to set up the show. Um, th- there's a lot to do. So for me, that that would have been that was kind of one of the things for me. It was like, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't mind the idea of a podcast, but I kind of I kind of want it to look like a hundred episode a hundred on episode one, which is completely unrealistic, and and it wasn't anyway. So, but it was better than what it would have been if I hadn't given it a bit more thought. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, like everyone says, your first podcast is gonna suck, and mine was no, that was horrible. But I mean, you see, I mean, like uh, the the if it's words Kevin's Gill, there's nothing out there, there's nothing to it but to do it, um, yeah. you know. So, and uh, obviously, to learn more. So, I mean, through listening, I mean, obviously, we've interacted. Um, we have each other's phone numbers. We've talked uh-huh. to, in, in the real life. 
Yeah. Um, we watched Willow and Roxy, you know, wrestle, you know, together. Um, where was I going with this? Oh my gosh, why am I having a brain fart? Oh, it's been a day. Sorry. Um, um, so yeah, I, I know a solid chunk of your story, but obviously, if, if no one can tell, obviously, Graham, you're not born here in the United States, which is fine. No, still got a little bit of that accent, yeah. Still got um, which is definitely part of your enduring char- charm, by the way. So that's why I think my wife also enjoys your enjoys uh, good cop, bad cop, also. Oh, um, I, I did not know that. Yeah, she. I mean, she's a fan. So I mean, she does. I mean, she's not a regular listener, but whenever I've got yeah. it on the background, so like they're amiably tolerate it. Like, I mean, every once in a while, I do miss Sunday night walk night, so I do have to listen, like, on Tuesday mm-hmm. on Spotify you know, at my computer, but um, obviously, but, um, so you moved to the States for school? Um, I moved, um, so I started teaching in 97, and around 99, I saw an advert in the, the teaching newspaper in England that talked about the chance to go and teach in America. Now, I was a big fan of American sports at that time, specifically football, a uh, big Dolphins fan, mm-hmm. and wanted to see Dan Marino play before he retired. And the deal was you had to have three years of experience. So I was like, great, I got a year to kind of plan this, figure out how it goes. So I went through all the steps, applied, went for an interview in London, no problem, that all went through, getting all your visa stuff sorted out, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, summer of 2000, I had the shortest summer holiday I ever had. The summer holidays are very different in England. I broke up, I want to say about July 24th. I had one day's summer holiday. And then on the Sunday, I was in Heathrow Airport at like 6 a.m., flying out to North Carolina, a week of intensive training. And then the following week, boom, you're straight into a... I was in middle school, actually. I decided to switch from... I was like, hey, if I'm going to go to a whole new country and have all these new experiences, why not have an experience of teaching in a totally different grade level as well? Nice. So, so I went to, Yeah, okay. we don't actually have high schools in England. It's called a high school, um, but often it's a slightly different grade level. So the middle school, the eighth grade in middle school, I did actually teach that grade in England, but I thought it would be a very... But that, when that's your oldest students, that's very different from having 12th graders as your oldest students. So I thought that would be um, I thought that would be a good experience. And I picked North Carolina. There was multiple states that were on offer. Um, I didn't really know anything about North Carolina, but I knew about the geography of North Carolina. So I like the fact it was near the coast. Um, I like the fact that there were mountains, there was state parks and that type of thing. And um, I knew that I was going to be near the city as well. So I was near Charlotte. and. Okay. Uh, somebody who's never lived in a city to me that was an exciting idea to hey why don't we just go all in with this why don't we do everything different go and live in there but the idea well the plan at the time was it was a two-year program so it was like i do my two years in america i go tour i come back who knows get married settle down blah 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 and i'll be in england for the rest of my life this was never the plan that this year's later i'll be talking about the fact that i think next year is my 20th year teaching in america so what um so what crazy are you teaching in england then um it's everything it's kind of crazy like right now my schedule is i teach algebra one that's it like <laughs> first period algebra one third period algebra one fifth period algebra one. That, that's it that's all i do and um in england you could literally go from the equivalent of the lowest ability seventh grade students to the highest ability eighth grade students to an AP calculus class. And at the end of the day, have some middle ability 10th grade students. Hmm. So you're teaching four completely different lessons each day. And um, yeah, I would have had more classes as well. 
So it's it's a very different system. So teaching, well, one of the reasons why I'm still here, besides being married, which is obviously one of the factors that helped me to stay here, is um, that it's much easier to teach in America than it is to teach in England. Um, there was a lot more prep uh, for classes. So now I prepare my Algebra 1 classes, but that, that suits me because I can I spend longer on it than I should do because, I like I said, I got that perfectionist side <laughs> to me. But when I had to do seven les lessons of all different uh, abilities, I found that really stressful because to try and get them all to the level that I want them to be, um, you can't physically do it in the time you have. But no, most weekends, that would be my weekend pretty much. All Sunday from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to bed, you're pretty much preparing lessons the whole day, which is not what I do here at all. I'm nice. not saying teaching's an easy job, and it certainly isn't. And there's other things that have come in now as well with all the different paperwork and documentation you have to do. Uh, but my job here is still way easier than what it is in it would be in England. Nice. So when you said you uh, got to Charlotte, you had a week of intensive training. What kind of? I mean, were they teaching like training about the United States, or was it like teaching training? I mean, you've had experience at that point. I mean. So I flew into Raleigh. Yeah, they, they want experienced teachers. Like, that was why you had to do the three years. What they don't want to do is basically it was an agency that hired hired teachers, and then the agency kind of sells you on to the teaching okay. district. Um, to, hey, look, you got a vacancy here. We have somebody who can fill that vacancy. So they don't want somebody that's not experienced, because otherwise you're not going to get that repeat business then. It's a business like everything else. It's just that we were happy to be part of that business, because we, hey, we get to move to America for a couple of years. Um, it was actually described as a cultural exchange. They didn't want you staying over here permanently. They wanted you to move here, share your home culture with American students. But then when you return to your home country, you could share American culture with those students. And I think that concept is really good, actually. The fact that you do get to see not just your regular teachers, you get to learn a little bit more about the mm -hmm. world. Um, in a fun situation from an actual physical face. And they, they said that at the one of the first uh, sessions that we attended, that going forward, when somebody hears about, in my case, England, most people don't really know much. They'll probably think about the Queen, they'll think of London, but they don't really have anything tangible. But going forward, when they think about England, they'll think about, oh, uh, Graham, they'll think about you. Um, and that will be, they'll remember you, they'll remember what things you liked, et cetera, et cetera. So it was to try and make... Uh, I guess it's to educate more about other cultures, which I think is a, yeah. a fascinating concept. Um, I can't remember what your original question was, but I mean, it was um, well, it was about the intensive training, but it was just like, oh, I, yeah, that, that's it. So I was actually in. I flew into Raleigh, and uh, we were training at um, UNC campus. Okay. So that that's actually why I'm a big Tar Heels fan now. Like I didn't know at the time, but it was like, oh, I'm at UNC. Like I didn't know Michael Jordan was uh, there for three uh, for four years winning national chat. I didn't know anything about that at that time at all. But yeah, no, some of it was, uh, some of it is to helping you. There was definitely time to help you set up a bank account, uh, okay. rent a property, uh, go lease a car, uh, learn to drive in America as well. You still have to take your driver's test um so there was definitely that side of things as well and but yeah the other things was kind of helping you with what's the differences with the subjects you teach uh in your own country as compared to america so that was definitely part of it as well but the other thing was the thing that they were very adamant about was you guys have got to be going like really tough like the american kids are going to challenge you continually it's not like anything you've ever seen before um like they'll try and take advantage of everyone. like i'm thinking oh my god like what have i let myself <laughs> in for here this sounds horrendous and i quickly found within the first couple of weeks i was like that's not like this at all 
American students are way better behaved than English students. Now, I think it depended which country you came from, because some countries, um, the level of respect shown to teachers is far more. Like, um, everything is, yes, sir, yes, sir. Um, I think particularly the African countries, I think that was a big example of that. The students sat quiet, they listened to the teacher, they were very respectful. Uh, but that's not what it's like in England at all. They will challenge you all the time. They'll throw comments out. They'll try and get you off your game, blah, blah, blah. So to me, it was, yeah, I think the English teachers, we didn't really have any problems at all. Classroom management was so much easier um, than what it had been in England. So I know that was one of the things they were definitely working on that first week. So, and then when you're doing, let's so say when you're first doing your, your training and everything and they're kind of selling on you. So there's, there's people from other countries, not, so it wasn't just straight up England and the U S it was all over the place, huh? Oh, there's lots. Um, nice. the agency was called VIF, the visiting international faculty. Okay. Um, it's rebranded since, and I don't remember what it's called now. And, um, yeah, just off the top of my head, um, I know we had friends from Germany, uh, Argentina, Spain, Costa Rica um they were the ones that i probably hung around with the most in that first group but yeah no I, I can't remember how many countries they are but basically on the first night they'll kind of get you into this big hall 300 400 500 people possibly i'm tr struggling to remember exactly yeah. and then they go through the list like stand up if you're from argentina and then people stand up stand up if you're from brazil and they go through the alphabet and um, i still remember being pissed about this i was waiting for them to say england so i could stand up and they went from like denmark to france and i'm like what the hell like you didn't how are you doing i was like oh i know what they're gonna do they're gonna do like great britain or something and then they carried on and sure they did germany and then i don't know haiti or something but it's like what the what's going on here and then right at the end they did united kingdom and most people played the game and stood up and, and i refused to stand up i was like that's not my country my country is england united kingdom is not a country it's a group of and i actually th this is this is like this fits me to a t things like that really pissed me <laughs> off like if you're trying to educate students and you're yeah. educating them with something that's not right um it's almost insulting like if i described you as a north american like it's not inaccurate but it's not as specific as it should be and i talked to the owner of the company because he was there he was very sociable he was talking to people i was like you know you didn't say england right he said yeah yeah we say united kingdom i said but that's a group of countries and um anyway he took it under consideration but i actually joined the program for a second time a few years later and he carried on doing the same thing he still said united kingdom so i didn't stand up but I had people nudging me like, why aren't you standing up? I'm like, that's not my country. That is not a country. Yeah. Well, and people give me shit all the time because in traveling in South America, if you say you're from America, we're like, well, we're Americans too. Exactly. Um, you know, so that's why I was always very conscious to say that I'm from the United States. Los Estados yeah. Unidos was one of the mm -hmm. first things I, I learned in Spanish. And like, and you come here and you tell people that, you know, and they're just like, oh, you're just the PC police, blah, blah, blah. I'm like... No, it's actually true. I mean, America is like two continents of a lot of countries. We just happen to have absorbed it into ours, but I, you know, I'll get off my soapbox once again. So, um, well, I'm glad that you understand it because at times some people made me think I was a little bit petty with it. No, like, no, fuck that. You're, yeah, you're if, you're. if you're trying to tell kids and educate them about your country, then I want them to realize there's a difference between England, Great Britain, and United Kingdom. And a lot of them don't have any concept of that at all. Everyone, first of all, everyone initially, and they're, and they're kids from North Carolina, so you understand it when they're younger, but they all, they all assume that you live in London. They don't know that there's any other cities besides London. And you'd get the questions like, so do you know the Queen? 
like not personally, <laughs> but, but that's kind of one of the things. That, that, but kids are curious; they want to ask questions, and it's great that you have a chance to provide them with answers for something that they're interested in, and give them a a much more global understanding. I guess. Yeah, that is real. I had um, I mean, I knew that you came here to, to you know to be a teacher, but I didn't know that was all some kind of cultural exchange. That's I mean, I love stuff like that. That was. Uh, I know where I grew up, don't get me wrong, Alyssa, we got a very good education for the most part, um, although math is not our strong suit like you're talking about pre-production, but um, I was actually on academic decathlon, and that was the thing that cost us from going to state was our math or algebra and everything, but um, but we don't get, and listen, obviously in this country, you don't learn second language, you know, mandatory, you know, you don't get that kind of exposure, so that's really cool that they had that cultural exchange, like you said, I mean, these kids... Yeah, think of England going forward. They're going to think of you. you know, oh, or, or like I still, per- it's really cool now. I would say Facebook wasn't around at that time, of course, because it's too early. But I still have former students um, on my Facebook account who I taught while I was in North Carolina. And it, the hard part is getting used to them now, saying things like, oh, just celebrate my 35th birthday. I'm like, oh, no, no, that, that can't. But it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's 22 years ago they were in middle school at the time and uh but no it's been great seeing them how they've grown up and st- the fact that you can still um talk to them interact with them it's uh it's really cool one of the things that i should have mentioned that i did want to come to america that was definitely true but if it would have been like hey do you want to come for free then it would have been like well no i'm not working for free there was a really good treaty which as far as i know still exists Anybody from England can work in the U.S. tax-free for two years. Anyone in the U.S. can work in England tax-free for two years. So you could actually stay for three years if you wanted to. Um, But if you did, you had to pay all your tax in that third year. So what happened? All the Brits stayed for two years. We went back to England and we didn't pay any tax during that time. Uh, but yeah, if you play state a third year, you had to pay three years of tax in one okay. year. Um, but the caveat to that was, if you left and came back, they couldn't touch the tax-free part anymore. So you were good. So I literally went back to England for one year, came straight back out again, <laughs> and the next time I stayed for three years. But you can't use the treaty multiple times. So I got tax-free 2000 to 2002, and then that's it. You don't get to use it again. I spent all that money. Anyone who was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You're taking money out of the country. I spent every single dollar that I earned. It went straight back into the economy. Like I paid for my car. My car put 70,000 miles on in two years, I think it was. I traveled all over the States because I didn't think I was coming back. I figured I was here for two years and that was going to be it. So I visited 48 states uh, in two years. Wow, that's better than I did. I was pretty close to that. I'm way ahead of people, but I didn't think I'd ever get the chance again. So I was like, shit, every holiday, I'm making the most of it. Like, I'm traveling. Like, Christmas, traveling. Spring break, traveling. Like, I traveled into Canada as well. Um, But yeah, no, I was buying... Clothing here is way way cheaper than what it is in England as well. (laughs) Mainly because of sales tax. Sales tax in the UK currently is about 20%. So if you suddenly mention that, you'd be like, what? Like most places, it's like 6%, probably 5%, something. So it's a lot cheaper. Uh, so I was buying products that I couldn't really afford in England as well and taking them back. So my wardrobe radically changed as well. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I spent all the money. But I, it was fine. I had, a great, I had a great two years. That sounds awesome. Listen, uh, my father-in-law says he's got a joke that, uh, 
you know, people in Europe think that a hundred miles is a long distance, but people in the United States think a hundred years is a long time. Um, but w- with that said, obviously, you know, everything is so much closer together in Europe. Um, I mean, it's basically just states. So were you much of a traveler before? Like, I mean, 70,000 miles, that's a lot of, Oh, it is. Know, that, yeah. I mean, it'd be tough to do in England. Um, I, I mentioned yesterday that I, I don't mind trying. If I got podcasts, if I got music, if I got audiobooks, um, which probably wasn't such a big thing in 2000. Music was probably my main thing at that time. I think I st- I think I had an iPod first in 03, I want to say. Um, I don't mind. I'm quite happy traveling. I'm looking around. I'm seeing things. I'm stopping regularly because I want to see everything. So I think all that thing is cool. Um, traveling, not to the extent that I did um, when okay. I was in the States. Like, I'd visited France on a rugby trip when I was at school. Uh, I visited Holland or the Netherlands on a rugby trip as well. Um, I'd done day trips to Belgium, and I I want to say that's the only three countries I've actually been to uh, outside of England. I'd just ventured into Scotland, and but not really seen very much of it, which I corrected this summer. Uh, we had a few days in Scotland, went up as far as Edinburgh. I'd like to go back and do more. Uh, I visited Wales as well, but... So, no, not really. And the, kind of the sad thing is, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, particularly um, people who I work with, when you're in an area and there's something that's really close to you that's kind of major, you tend not to go to it because you're like, well, I can do that anytime. There's never any pressing need to go and do it. But when you're on a shorter time frame, it's like, well, I got to do this now because I only have two. For me, it's like I only have two years. I've got to go to all these states. I've got to see all these national parks. I got to see all these big cities because after the two years is gone, I probably can't do it. So the one for me, which was really embarrassing, was I was only about an hour and 15 minutes away from Stonehenge. Never visited it. Like it took me like I had to take um a ferry, because um, I used to live on an island just off the coast of England. I would okay. have had to take a ferry and then probably a train or a bus to get there. But it's not difficult to get to Stonehenge. It's not like I didn't want to see Stonehenge, but it was something like, I can do it at any time. And did I do it for the three my first three years once I took my first teaching job? No, I, I didn't do it. So no, I was, it, it did encourage me afterwards, though. It's like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm sing- while I'm single, like I got to travel everywhere. And I did. That year that I came back, I went to, uh, I went to Paris for um, a week and nice. toured all around there. Got to see all the stuff that everyone wants to see, like the Louvre, um, Eiffel Tower, or the train. Like I did. All- so I became a better traveler after my American experience, for sure. And I traveled more around England as well. Now, have you seen Stonehenge since then? I have, yeah. I took okay. The, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I went. I'm, I I corrected it pretty quickly. Um, okay. I think within the first couple of weeks, I got back. I was like, "Well, this is ridiculous." I, I so I, I did that, and not this time, but the previous time we're in England in 2018, um, we took the boys as well because they they really wanted to see. It. Like they they know that Stonehenge is a big thing. I think most people recognize that as a an important tourist attraction just because of the age of it. Yeah. I love Stonehenge. I think it's an awesome place. Yeah, it's like uh, there's so like you look at Wisconsin, and obviously you got the thumb right here. So the top of the thumb is called Door County. Um, yeah, and the, so yeah, it's it's one of the more prettier state. It's touristy, and I do try to stay away from tourist spots. Um, I've definitely gone away from tourist spots as I used to work in one. Um, you know, so I mean, a lot of the cool stuff you get to see is is very ancillary to that, but um, that's another story. But yeah, I had never been to Door County, and then you know, obviously, finally, uh, you know, when during the pandemic, for because Faith and I like to travel for our anniversary, like so, we're hopefully going to see, um, at least to have lunch with you guys, um, when we go when we go out there, um, 
but we always drove around Lake Michigan for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the pandemic. So I finally got Door County. I spent, you know, 33 of my 43 years of my life. And in that point, I'd never been there. Um, yeah. And when I lived in Idaho, I mean, Yellowstone's two and a half hours away. I'd only mm-hmm. been there once, yeah. you know, it's a long two and a half hours, but I mean, it it's is. right. It but is. it's, uh, yeah, it's funny. The things you miss right in your own backyard. No, absolutely. The thing that annoyed me most about Yellowstone, um, I actually tra- I actually traveled my first summer with um, a fellow um, exchange student, exchange teacher, and he was more into planning than I was. Like he was, um, he was a science teacher, but he used to do regular trips to places like uh, Belize, and he would study like the um, the environment and things. So he knew all about Yellowstone. So I was like, this is perfect. So I tagged along with him, and um, yeah, you got um, the comment I remember more than anything was dad grabs his kid by the arm he's like come on let's get moving it's just a bacterial map and it's like oh my god like you've got things in this park that you just don't have anywhere else in the world or you got like 35 percent of the natural i don't know spring geysers or something in the world in located in that one spot like there's so many things there that you just don't see anywhere else in the world but um it's just not appreciated by everybody like no. unless it's unless it's a screen, <laughs> some people are just not interested. Or unless you can, they, I think the stat, I think the sad stat is that people go to the gift shop, but they don't they don't tend to go with more than ten minutes away from the actual gift shop, and it's kind of sad. I think for Yellowstone, I think what they said is most people they'll go and watch Old Faithful, and as soon as Old Faithful erupts and comes down again, they go to the gift shop, they go to the toilets, and I go to the restrooms, and then they're out, and that's it. And it's kind of sad. It's kind That's, of sad. There's so much more to see in places like that. It's uh, endless. And, and I, I've talked about this a little bit, but I'm not sure if you're, you're aware of where I, so I lived in, when I lived out in Idaho, I was out in central Idaho. We were in the middle of bumblefuck nowhere. I mean, like the, the, the nearest stoplight is 60 miles away, but I worked at a tourist lodge, uh-huh. Um, you know, and it was a rustic lodge. Unfortunately, they did put internet in there eventually, which kind of sucked. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you would, it, I try not to be the angry guy, you know, screaming and get off my lawn, but it's a beautiful lodge. I mean, I could, I could show you pictures of it later and everything, you know, at the base of a beautiful mountain glacial lake with a rustic view and people on their tablets. Yeah. On the front part, it's just like, and yeah. let's I mean, there's trails galore. I mean, like yeah. there's a trailhead 500 yards from my, from my door where I stayed. Yeah. People never went and actually even explored into the wilderness. Um, It can be tough if, if you're not, I mean, you could get back there, but even with a little bit of effort, you could just, and just like you said, they don't leave the gift shop, which is funny because I worked at the journal store, which was the gift shop. Um, yeah. and, and you're right. Pe- people don't. And, and it's, it's tough in it because it's, in this country, let's say United States, I mean, there's so much to see. I mean, you've been all over the place, obviously. Yeah. Pretty much every state is its own country for okay. its most part. And yeah. so, I mean, there, and there's kids I went to high school with that are that are still, you know, where we grew up. You know, they don't leave the county unless it's for work. You know, mm-hmm. and hey, I mean, to each their own. I I know people have never left the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just like I said, but because there's so much to see in this country, it's it's ridiculous. I had people teach, and I had teachers in North Carolina say, like, yeah, no, I'm never, I'm, I don't need to travel to Europe. And like, I haven't even seen America yet. And I could totally understand that. Like, there is so much to see in America that that's obviously easier to see than what it is to fly to Europe. So I could, I could understand not taking flights necessarily for things like that. But yeah, um, the island that I toured on for three years, the, the Isle of Wight, uh, it's about 16 miles across, probably about eight miles top to bottom. And just because it's surrounded by water, there would be people there who'd never left the island. 
like they were quite happy where they were and the joke was and i don't know if it's even true but the east side of the island was the touristy side and the west side was basically the farmlands and um apparently some people on the west side of the island had never even been to the east side of the island now i'm not sure how much of a joke that was whether that was true but yeah it is there was a lot of people that would never travel particularly that far i think the stat that mason uh, that jackson and i saw within the last week in ohio um, I want to say it was at the McKinley Library. I think it said in 1800s, um, people, the average, nobody, I think it was like 95% of people didn't travel more than 25 miles away from the place they were born. And I was like, I could believe that. Like, there's no roads at that time. There's no cars. Um, and most people don't own horses or anything. Like, you're not. You're going to stay. Set but now it's just... Like you just said 100 miles is nothing to an American. It's not. like I, If you suddenly told me, uh, hey, do you want to meet up at such and such, seeing a wrestling event 100 miles away? I'd be in my car right now. Like, yeah. But it has really changed. But for a lot of people, they, they don't really move very far from that. That's most of my, uh, my family in England now. I guess kind of my uh, relatives, my cousins and people like that, they, they still live in the same sort of area that we grew up. Um, they've, they've never moved from that area. They've all stayed within like a five-mile radius probably. Um, of where they grew up but yeah i i guess i managed to escape the circle yeah i mean and the city so get into the city and there's people that don't even leave their block or their neighborhood um i mean and i mean you can understand why i mean you've got your family there you've got your grocery store there your jobs there yeah. um you know i've always been a very naturally curious person and listen hey you know to each of their own i mean i'm not paying your rent you can do whatever the fuck you want that's the bottom line well i think part um, of the problem is now why people don't move is finances is a problem like if you want to yeah. travel it is expensive i was lucky that i had disposable income at that time i didn't have i was single um didn't have i had rent to pay but i didn't own a house or anything um my we, money weren't, paying, we weren't paying taxes so, <laughs> so I, had a, I had a lot more money than what most people would have and i'm in a profession now which i know people say teachers should be paid more but it's not like it's not like i gotta go out on the street corner with a cap upturned asking for pennies and stuff like i'm i can provide for my family pretty well and there's going to be chances for us to travel like we did um this summer like i could drop a few thousand dollars to um get plane um air tickets and things like that a lot of people cannot do that it's um don't want to get all political on you tom but yeah no um, no that's not yeah you look at the minimum rate you look at the uh, minimum wage um how that's progressed and you look at how prices have progressed and it's not the same situation uh it's a very different situation that's kind of my biggest fear for my kids like i think i i think i kind of got through that last part i was lucky um i bought my first house when i was 21 i could afford to do that i could put a down payment down and i got in on the housing market at exactly the right time um now that's difficult for that's the thing i think for my high school students like that's difficult to do that is really difficult to do. And you can't just go, well, I'm going to rent because renting is ridiculously expensive as well. And in fact, when we when Mal and I first moved back to the States, it was actually cheaper for us to pay a mortgage on a house that we bought than it was to pay rent on um, rented accommodation. Nice. And some people oh. are trapped in that system, though. They can't get a mortgage because because they can't. So um, it, it is to I understand why people do have to you have right. to stick family and it's kind of like the thing in japan i know you like new japan pro wrestling as well so uh, but like japanese culture i think when they buy their houses they have multi-generations for starters but often it's not like our 25 year mortgages like we have here they take them on like i think 100 year mortgages or basically it's passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation so um yeah it's it's very different very different system for sure 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, you could, I mean, like you said, it's its tough. I was very fortunate, you know, I worked seasonally, um, so worst case scenario, I mean, there was a couple times I worked straight through, but I'd have a month off in between jobs. Sometimes I'd have a whole season off, um, you know, so that's all I did was travel. And listen, I, I didn't pay rent. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have a lease. I didn't have any kind of utilities I had to worry about. You know, some jobs, your, your meals are included. So, yeah, if I could stay out of the bar. Um, yeah, I could save some money and that's, that's what I did. I mean, people like, like, well, you went down to South America for six months. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, why, why the fuck wouldn't I? Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. You know? So, Absolutely. um, you know, and I understand I'm very fortunate that way. Uh, the hardest part about, um, the one thing I don't like about this country and traveling is they don't make it easy. It, like you said, it is expensive to travel in the United States. Um, the, the infrastructure here, less that I mean, you know, obviously you being born in Europe. Um, I literally, the first time I went to South America, I took a bus over two months from Quito, Ecuador to Buenos, Ar- Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is basically like traveling from Seattle to Miami. Mm-hmm. And I just took buses the entire time. Yeah. You couldn't do that here. And I made no. lots of stops. No, um, you, you, that the public transport system in the US, unfortunately, is very poor compared to what it is in England. Like I, I managed to rent a car for two weeks. I returned it. And the rest of the time we use public transport. We took trains, we took coaches. Um, and the it's not great in Britain either compared to the rest of Europe, but compared to America, it's night and day. So, um, yeah, it is it is definitely more difficult to, to do that in the U.S. for sure. Yeah. And listen, each each country was a little different. But I mean, and these buses were nice. You got mm-hmm. meals, you had functioning bathrooms, you mm-hmm. could get a seat where you could recline all the way back. You got individual movies for a quarter. Of the, I mean, I've traveled. I've taken Greyhound across this country a few times and it's not a nice experience. No, um, I mean, I it, it's that. fun, but I mean, I've done, I mean, I, I'm pretty easy going, but you know, and it was, it was the price is three times more, you know? So like I yeah. said, so, yeah, people can't afford to travel. So now um, I heard this statistic. Um, this was actually my wife shared with this mid today and I haven't had a chance to look. Don't know when it comes into effect. Apparently all bus travel in Washington, DC is going to be free going forwards. Don't know when that comes in. I was kind of mind blown by that. I was like, wow, I was not, that's not something I would have expected at all. So I don't know. Yeah. And it's not because um, here in Milwaukee, we were one of the more higher rated um, transit systems in the country for a long time. But now you look at the, I mean, because I have a bus stop right outside my house and there's no one on the bus anymore. I used to take the bus everywhere mm-hmm. um, in the city. And, you know, I always said the joke was I could get anywhere in Milwaukee County uh, with a skateboard, a Walkman and a bus pass in two hours. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And yes, and yes, Matt, if you're listening to this, I did say Walkman. It's this <laughs> thing you have where you put a little tape in it and you press play and you had to carry batteries with you and extra tapes if you wanted to listen to things. Um, yeah, I mean, I had I used a Walkman up till 2005. I'm just um, looking for it. I have one just to the side of me. I bought yeah. one. I bought one about two years ago. Yeah, I had one of those nice sports one too, and it was nice and heavy, you know. Yeah. So, and I switched to the, you know, to the iPad Nano, which had a thousand songs besides your credit card. But I'm like, well, if I get mugged, I can't hit somebody with my iPod. But that Walkman, man, <laughs> I could, I could really mess somebody up if I had to. So, yeah. Um, um, 2006 to 2009. This is after I've just met my wife, and I'm, we're going back to England. Um, she didn't have a separate car. Um, she took bus everywhere, and it was inexpensive. It was easy to do. She could get to work that way. 
So yeah, transportation is is different. I think it's easier in the big cities in America. Like if I'm in New yeah. York, I'm riding the metro all over the place. Like I'm I'm not taking a car and it's too expensive. Um, but yeah, in general, it's difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the big cities, obviously, well, especially New York, uh, Chicago's not bad. Um, you know, Milwaukee used to be better, but just no one's riding the bus anymore. Um, mm. Yeah, I remember last time I was in New York City. So, yeah, we had a place, and then once we, yeah, we just hoofed it or uh, or took transit, you know, the entire time. But then when we left, then we rented a car to leave. Then we were driving out to, to New Hampshire and everything. So, um yeah, but you know it is what it is. But um, that's really cool. I had no idea that you came over basically on a, on a cultural exchange. So that, that's what they called it. They jazzed it up a little bit. For me, it was just like I want to, I want to see Dan Marino play before he retires. I signed my contract. He announced he was retiring, and I never got to see him play. But I did travel down that first uh, first Christmas, so December, I think it was. I got to see him play. I want to say I think it was the Atlanta Falcons. Nice. Um, didn't turn up with a ticket or anything and then uh, the guy's like oh you don't have a ticket and i was like no he's like well and he's basically sold me a ticket at a it was obviously not a scalper it was just somebody and he's like oh look this is your first game he could obviously hear my accent i had a strong english accent obviously at that point and he's like oh you've been a dolphins fan your whole life I'm like yeah, yeah he's like here take these so anyway i bought the tickets from him very very cheap i can't remember how much it was but i had really good seats for that game and i realized once i got inside like he really gave me a good deal on that so i did get to see my dolphins play uh in miami which was cool speaking of which so how living in england how did you pick the dolphins and not the packers of all teams and it depends it all depends on when it starts so um it started showing them like we only had three channels in england um up until 1983 and then 1984, uh, or 1983-84, I think it was, sorry, 1981, I think it is, Channel 4 started up. So we don't have many channels, but Channel 4 started showing NFL games. And well, it started off with NFL highlights. It was just like an hour program on a Sunday, I think it was. And then they started showing more games and more things. So I started watching in 94. And for a nine-year-old, oh, my God, those colorful uniforms, the helmets, people crashing into each other, uh, balls being thrown ridiculously long lengths and people doing diving catches to him. I was hooked instantly. It was the coolest thing. Like, it's totally different from soccer. Uh, cricket is a very slow-paced, delicate game. It's nothing like that at all. Yeah. Um, I understood rugby, but I, it, I, why would you throw the ball backwards if you want to run forwards? Like, that never made sense to me at all, really. Um, no, as a nine-year-old, I was hooked. And obviously, at that point, they're showing, like, the best teams at the time. So who's the best team in 1984? Miami Dolphins. Dan Marino is breaking all sorts of records. He's like the the hottest thing around at that point. And that was it. I liked the logo. Um, like adult, love Dolphins. Um, Miami Dolphins, that was it. And I was hooked all the way until 2000. You should have picked Joe Montana. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> you know, they did win three great team. I cannot yeah. argue with that. They are a fantastic team. We do actually, JG, I know as, as you're a JGB listener, we did record our first episode in a long time. We talked about our trip to Canton and the Hall of Fame, and we did talk about things like, like the boys know who Joe Montana is, even though I'm not a 49ers fan, so I don't really mention the name, but they know people like that. They know Jerry Rice. And the one that really surprised me is, oh shoot, I forgot what his name is. Um, Somebody's been nominated for the 2024 Hall of Fame. I actually thought he was already in um, because it was one of those names. It was their running back. Uh, I'm just scrolling my other notes, see if I can find where it is. Roger Craig. I was sure Roger Craig must have been in the Hall of Fame. I was shocked that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, the 
I mean, he's a big name, but I mean, they only do what four or five players a year. I understand that, but it was to me, he was like a dominant player in that era. All right, I got the stats. Let me see what I got down here. Uh, first NFL player to rush a thousand yards rushing and receiving. Yep. In the same season, uh, won three Super Bowls with the 49ers, um, uh, totaled 13,000 yards from scrimmage, and scored 73 touchdowns. Um, to me, that was kind of like the that's like the three. It's it's similar one for Dallas. You think of uh, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and oh shoot, I forgot the wide receiver's name. Michael oh. Irvin. Michael Irvin. Thank you. But it was like those trio of players. And for me, San Francisco was the same thing. So I was shocked that um, he wasn't on that list. But uh, perhaps he'll be fixed in 2024. Yeah, so Jerry Rice was just, he's like the greatest of the greats. I mean, it's like, Absolutely. like some of his records, like he has more than like the difference between him and second place is bigger than what the person second place. It's, 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 sick. it's ridiculous. It's like when you look at points for NHL, how far Gretzky ahead is ahead of the second place person. It just makes no sense. But to keep that in that position, you obviously lose speed. Um, and he played for 20 plus years. How is he still beating defense? Yeah, he he's a one-off. He is Jerry a Rice played for twenty years. I think he was twenty-one. I think he played twenty-one years. Wow, it, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. I guess like his big thing was, was like even in practice, every time he touched the ball, he went for a touchdown. That was it just his mindset. Like it. it was just like that was his mindset. Like even in practice, it's just like I, th- that's my job is I run to that end zone. So, um, wow. Uh-huh. Hey, you want to feel old? Jerry Rice is 60 years old. (laughs) Wow. Um, He joined, he started playing for San Francisco in 1985, and his last season was 2004. So he played 20 seasons. And in his last season, you know, so you know, normally like a last season, like figures tend to drop off. In his last season, he played uh, 17 games. So he was, he was still playing. He was still playing at that time. Amazing. I, I yeah I love Jerry Rice so and I was I mean I was a well but the Packers were so bad that so it didn't even really matter uh-huh. you know I mean I was the uh, Tampa Bay and Green Bay would always play at the end of the year because they're in the same division back then uh, to see who's going to get the three wins that year you uh-huh. know so but to, to to answer your question like why the Dolphins why not the 49ers I know you've been a little facetious about it no. um, the running game to me I understand it's an art but it's not as exciting to me like if I go and watch a high school game pretty much every play is a running play and I find it so dull I don't really like watching high school football at all. They don't really throw it very often because they don't have the arms. For or the, well, certainly our teams don't have the arms. But the Dolphins, Dan Marino could throw it. He just threw it so hard, like he could break a finger. The speed he's throwing it out, like you had to be ready for that ball. And when you got Mark Duper one side, you got Mark Clayton the other side. It was just, it was just exciting to watch. Oh, for me, it was okay. Yeah, nobody no, I mean... else in that era could kind of compete just on throwing. Like you asked about Green Bay Packers, love Brett Favre. Absolutely adore Greg Favre. Loved watching him. Um, like once Marino kind of dropped down, it was like, yeah, I like watching Brett Favre. It's that same sort of thing. He just throws a ball, throws yeah. it fast, throws it hard, throws for touchdowns. It's beautiful to watch. Is he going to throw some picks? Absolutely. But well, Brett Favre definitely. But um, but that's the excitement part of it. It's exciting to watch, and that that was the appeal of the Dolphins, and they, they had success with that team. They just couldn't get that ring for Dan Marino, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, he made the Super Bowl his rookie year, and then after that, I don't even think they sniffed. No, so which is which is kind of a shame, but um, wow. And so let's get back. So you're just kids. So you guys got some American football games then, huh? On TV, 
sorry, in, when I started watching as a kid, no, as a kid. So I mean, yeah, yeah so I'm, 1984 you know. is when it when it started. Yeah, um, I don't think they used they, it wasn't much because um, obviously the time zones don't really help. Um, but they always showed the Super Bowl. I remember that was a big thing. I, I I'm not sure exactly. I think 85 might have been the first Super Bowl they show live. Um, I don't think I stayed up to watch it because I was way too young. But once I was like a teenager, and certainly once I was once I left home when I was in college. I always stayed up for the Super Bowl. That's uh, kind of like now. It doesn't seem like that big a thing. Like you talk to our people in our wrestling community in Britain, like they stay up and watch uh, WrestleMania, and they're not going to bed until three, three thirty. And um, to me, that was that's what I was used to do for Super Bowl. I always used to cut a deal with my kids. It'd be like, guys, I'm going to let you know it's the Super Bowl it's coming up on Sunday. Uh, I am staying up and watching it. I'm going to be super tired on Monday good behavior like no homework that day kind of thing like it was kind of a little jokey thing about it but no i, I would always um i would always stay up and watch the super bowl nice um and you get so those games on tv were live then huh so yeah super bowl yeah the super bowl's live yeah well i mean but i mean but if you're walking like a sunday afternoon game so that was i mean I, so it's i don't remember when they started showing those live games that's what i'm struggling from it was mainly highlights oh. packages from what i could remember well, I suppose, yeah, I like the noon game here. So, yeah, I suppose that's about 6 p.m. for you. So, that's not they horrible. And then, yeah. I think it changed. A lot of things changed with, and I didn't have cable TV in the UK as well. Like, a lot of people have Sky. That that was kind of the big thing in that era. I didn't. So, it might have been that I didn't have access to all that stuff as well. So, that might make a big difference. You could talk to another football fan, and they might have a totally different experience. But I'm basing it on what I saw just on the, the terrestrial channels. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, I and that's always like I always like talking to people with different perspectives. And like you said, the, the cultural exchange, because, yeah, I mean, you learn different things from people. It's like it's, you know, life is not black and white. I mean, everyone has different experiences. So I said I'm a very natural, curious person, I'm sure, as you've noticed. So that's mm-hmm. another thing I would like to work with at the lodge. I remember I was planning a trip to Australia, which fell through, but it's another story in itself. But I had couches to sleep on in Australia. All the way from Brisbane, all the way to Perth, yeah. from people I met in that store one summer. Cool. Um, you know, unfortunately, oh, I, I didn't pull the trigger on it, so it's just like I'm like, oh, you're not from around here, so yeah, yeah. So I, I'm very curious that way. So and you, uh, so yeah, and you pick. I, mean, I love North Carolina. North Carolina is cool. um, my. Even though I've been in Virginia for nearly twenty years now. North Carolina is by far my favorite state. I've looked into it multiple times. Could we afford to go and live in North Carolina? Um, this the salary is appalling. Um, I think when I moved in two thousand, I think it was uh, the twenty fifth state in terms of pay for teachers, and now it's like the forty fifth, forty sixth, and it's just it's ridiculous. And the other thing that kind of shocked me, which was a very different experience for me as well, is in England, if you're a teacher, that's it. You're a teacher. That that's your job. That that's all you need. Here it was like people like doing nighttime jobs, people working in a bar after school, or people working at Walmart. And I'm like, or over the summer to make. I was like, what? This is when the pay was the 25th in the nation. So I can only imagine. I know it's really bad now. Um, it's sad. It's sad. Teachers should definitely be paid more, and certainly teachers in North Carolina should be paid more. Um, might be a place possibly I retire to, but I I can't. I can't afford to. Uh, it's more expensive to live where I am in Northern Virginia, but the pay more than compensates for that. Right. Compared to if I lived in North Carolina, where the houses are cheap, but the pay is significantly less as well. And we we crunch the numbers, and we're like, yeah, we can't do it. Can't do it. I would love to move to Chapel Hill. 
<sighs> I just love it. Or move on, move to the Outer Banks and be on, be near the water again. That, that's the one thing I do miss more than anything else. Um, when I was on the island, obviously I'm very close to water. So whatever direction you go, but whatever direction you go, that that was kind of the dream. When I became a teacher, it was like this is a great job. I can work anywhere I like in the country. Like most jobs, you kind of limited to where you can work. I was like every everywhere in the country has schools, and I applied to some really kind of strange places. Um, but yeah, the Isle of Wight was um, was certainly one of them, and um, I was lucky that I managed to get there. And yeah, no, I I, I love being near the water. How's the water temperature? That's gonna be cold, isn't it? <laughs> Possibly. Well, it depends. See, everyone's like, so doesn't England like? Isn't there like a lot of rain there? And isn't like really cold? I'm like, it's like asking in America, like, what's the temperature like? If you're in Florida right now, then yeah. it's warm. If you're in Chicago, then it's cold. So it kind of depends. I was on the south coast, so it was warm. I wouldn't say the water was warm, but it was tolerable. In fact, that first uh, Christmas when I went down to. Um, uh, when I went down to Florida, I did some on Christmas Day. I did some uh, snorkeling off mm. the off the coast, and they were like, "Oh, you're gonna need a wetsuit." And I was like, "They're like the water's really cold." And I was like, "Really?" And I was like, "What temperature is it?" And they're like, "75." <laughs> like, I think I'm good. Uh, by British standards, it was um, ridiculously high, and uh, it was fine. So, yeah, no, it, I I know my wife uh, thought that the water was very cold. But for me, I was used to it because it's what I grew up with. So, yeah, I mean, you think growing up in Wisconsin, I, I'm a, I am a white or I'm a warm water um, snob, like a, <laughs> like in the shower and stuff like that. So I just can't um, because the lake. I mean, let's say a retrous lake in Idaho, man. I mean, that lake it, it warmed up by September, but it's a glacial lake, and it's I mean, and Stanley is usually one of the is the coldest place in lower forty eight, like. 100 times out. I mean, we have there's 30 year there's 30 days a year that don't drop below freezing. Like in July. I mean, that's why it was funny there there's an article here yeah. like in Chicago's like we've got like in 3 days there's like a 60 degree change. I'm like, motherfucker in Idaho, I'd wake up and it'd be 15 degrees in the middle of July by the time it is noon, it's already 80, so I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Flatlanders, but even though I'm from here, um, I don't remember where I was going with all this, but oh, um, North Carolina. I mean, I love North Carolina. Uh, it, it's it's a well, I'm face never been there, so we're going back. But it's funny you mentioned the Outer Banks because I've been in North Carolina five, six times, and I've never been east of Raleigh. Whoa! Oh, I'm a, I'm a mountain kid, though, too, um, guys. So, but uh, yeah, I've never been east of Raleigh, so I don't know if we're gonna do it on this trip or not, or if we're just gonna hang out. Like in the Asheville, you know, mountains area. But do you prefer the? So you prefer the ocean, but do you like? Do you guys like the mountains up there? I, I, I certainly do as well. Like we actually passed through Asheville last year. Um, I knew it was one of the oldest baseball stadiums. So I, I don't know if you've nice. been. Have you been no. to the Asheville tourists? Oh. Um, I, I read about it. The stadium's like 1906 or something. Really? And um, I don't know if you remember the story from last year, but there was like a bear inside the stadium. That that was the Asheville stadium. So um, yeah, we were there and um, we got there in the first inning. Uh, we saw one pitch and then it went whoosh and it never stopped raining for the rest of the day. Um, we kind of sheltered from it. It was dollar dog night. So we had um, plenty of dollar dogs while we were hoping that rain was going to stop took lots of pictures it never stopped and um yeah we gave our tickets to a random person who was next to us like hey do you want these tickets because we can't they were like oh you can get a rain check i'm like yeah we're passing through town we're not going to be there again 
tomorrow. So, um, yeah, Asheville Tourists, if you're going to be there, I would definitely recommend that stadium. It's very historic. But, yeah, if you hmm. do decide to go to the Outer Banks, there's obviously things like Keep Hatteras and um, the where the Wright brothers learned to uh, did the first flights as well. Hmm. Um, that national monument out there, I've been a few times to that as well. I think I've been there at least three times. And uh, that that's it's just if it, it's a significant place it's a significant place you look we talked about differences already in transport and to think yeah. that just over 100 years ago it was um cars were still in their infancy at that point uh it was still really horses and then suddenly it's like you can take to the air and then you add another 60 years on top of that and suddenly you go into the moon it the the exponential growth there is crazy but yeah it that's that's interesting the the whole flight thing and the fact that we still don't really understand why it works in in total uh, it's yeah. kind of a little bit of a scary thought. There's still a lot of that that we don't totally understand. I'm just, I'm just glad it works. So, like, yeah. I hit the ground. Yeah, I'm like, woof. Yeah. So, I would not want to take a, a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. That's for sure. No. Well, and it's funny. So, where I live, uh, well, actually, the town literally right across the street. Um, so, we're right on the border. So, I am in Milwaukee proper, um, but there's a town called Wauwatosa, uh, which is Native American for fireflies, by the way, which I recently found out, uh, which is a really cool name. So, uh, we have a lot of fireflies by the river. Um, well, yeah, I, I've talked about my fan cop moments about the, the end of firefly season on Sunday night walk night, but um, the town, so it's Wauwatosa, but there's a lot, there's a lot like these big old, I wouldn't say mansions, but old homes and stuff like that. I'm like, why are all these big fucking homes? But basically, they said 100 years ago, transport wasn't what it was. So to get out of Milwaukee, the mugginess of Milwaukee during the summer, they had their summer homes in Wauwatosa because it was a, I mean, it was a hall. I mean, it's only 15 miles, but, you know, 120 years ago, 15 miles is a, a slog. That's a lot. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's fun. It's funny how um, towns are set up like that and stuff like that. So well, it's uh, also, you think like, um, like I can walk 15 miles, like I, I can do that. But the difference is um, my job's a lot easier than what jobs were a hundred years ago. Like if you were working a hundred years ago, you were pretty much being worked to the point of exhaustion. You were probably doing six, six days a week. Um, you were probably doing 10 hours a day as well. And that was literally it. You were tired. So as soon as you got home, you would, you would bathe if you could do that. And then you'd probably just relax for eat, eat a meal and then go to bed. And then you wake up the next day. You wouldn't have time to physically do that traveling or if you no one could afford a second home and they wouldn't have time to go to a second home so yeah, yeah. well and obviously you said you know 120 i mean there wasn't a lot of roads so yeah. i mean you're you're basically bushwhacking 50 miles cool. which is is different than you know walking up you know up the street so oh you said um, 50 i thought you said no 50. No, yeah. no fit no it's 15 oh it one is five. 15. one five yeah sorry i just got my braces tightened today so my mouth's all bleh, bleh, whatever <laughs> so um yeah, and I I love North Carolina. So you said you went home for a little while, and then you came back. So where did you did you go back to North Carolina when you came back? So I went back because um, I had to take most of that time. I had to make the most of my tax treaty. Um, I went back. I unfortunately I couldn't get back to the school that I first taught at. Like it's not an open position. Like it wasn't an exchange as in terms like an American teacher went across. Um, it was just I had to give up my job, and there was no vacancies. So I got a job at another school on the island. Um, but in my head, I knew this was great. Like, I love this experience. Um, I want to do more of this experience. I would like to have gone to Australia, but I'd already passed the age for the visa thing. Um, I think you had to be like 25 or something like that. It, anyway, it didn't kind of work out. And I think it's also their school year is January to January, which doesn't fit in with 
how most jobs end. Like you normally leave in the summer and then you start again at the end of the summer. So that didn't kind of fit in. Uh, Canada was interesting to me as well, but couldn't couldn't really get in there. So I was like, shoot, why don't I just reapply to this agency again? Like they know that I'm good. I can go somewhere different in the States. So my first place I really wanted to go to was Florida. Um, so basically I turned, I had to go through the whole process again. I had to do an interview and the interview was an absolute farce. It was pretty much the only question was, so how have you been growing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. Where do you want to teach? <laughs> that, that was pretty much the question I was asked straight away. Where do you want to teach? Um, cause they already knew that I'd taught for two years, so they knew I could do it. So the two places were Florida, um, or, or somewhere near DC, something like that, because that was the part that I hadn't traveled. I kind of traveled the South part a lot more, but I hadn't really done the North part. Like I wanted to be near lots of big places. So I wanted to be near, if I was like, if I can get near DC, then I'm going to be near Baltimore. I'm going to be near Philadelphia, New York. Like there's four big cities straight away that I'm very close to. And they were places I'd not really been to much, like once and briefly. So I was like, I can see more of that side, Boston as well. Like I can do more of that. So anyway, Anyway, um, I got accepted into Virginia, and then about a week later, I got a phone call saying, we have a, an interview for you at Fort Lauderdale High School. And I was like, you realize I already accepted a job in Virginia, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course you did. Never mind. So the, the aim was Fort Lauderdale, obviously, right next to the coast. I would have been within 30 miles of the Miami. I would have been a Dolphin season ticket holder. <laughs> something like this. That, that, that was kind of the plan. That, that was the plan. I was like, I can either be a Dolphin season ticket holder um, or I can go back. Um, I did one other interview. I interviewed for uh, the British school in Boston. And I there was only two people at the interview, and I came second, and I didn't get the job. And anyway, the guy afterwards talked to me. He's like, hey, look, you didn't get the job. We just want to let you know you did a fantastic job. We're only looking for one person. But just to let you know, um, there was basically 650 people who applied for this job. So the fact that you made it to, like, second, you did really well. And I was like, wow, man, that's awesome. Because that was my other plan. I was like, ooh, if I could live in Boston, Red Sox season ticket. So, but that job was insane. The pay was really good. It was a private school. Uh, the pay was really good. They subsidized your accommodation. I think they even bought you a car as well. Like I had dollar symbols <laughs> flashing over my eyes when I saw this job. That would have been my dream job. But as it turned out, it actually worked out for the best. Because if I had taken that job, obviously my life would have been very different from uh, what it turned out to be now. So every everything works out for the for the best. But no, I was quite happy to teach in Northern Virginia um close to dc until people start mentioning like first year back they were like oh yeah you remember like the sniper and things like that i'm like no i don't know but um yeah like yeah you couldn't go outside you couldn't do any sports or anything when you're trying to get into your car like it was people worried like are you gonna get shot so um that was obviously i came back in 2003 so that was very close to i think that was 2002 Something like that. September 11 is obviously 2001. So right. I think the sniper story is 2002. So that was a little bit of a, a scary time for a while. But um, yeah. But, God, that was 2000. God, that was 21 years ago already. I know. Isn't it ridiculous? Where was I? I was heading somewhere with my dad. I don't remember. Oh, I think he's moving on to Arizona. So that was my first time to Arizona. But um, uh-huh. I always joke around. But yeah, I have not been to Washington, D.C. since uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan debuted on HBO. Oh my gosh. So, 1982. Oh. Yeah, that's a very long time. 
but yeah, no, the plan this time was as I couldn't do the tax break thing, I, I knew I was staying for three years. I like I got three years to kind of go and see things that I hadn't seen. And um kind of actually I lied to you. I told you I'd seen 48 states after the first trip. I apologize. That is not true. I think I'd seen about 25. And then that first year when I came back, it's like then they were kind of in the middle. So it was like, okay, I gotta go up through like North Dakota, go right across Washington come down the side through California and then come back through New Mexico, Nevada, those types of places and pick up. So no, by 2004, I'd been to 48 states. Nice. That was also on the end, towards the end of that trip, as I'm coming back through Texas, um, I stopped in Houston, uh, went to see the Houston Astros. And at that point, I'd visited every major league baseball stadium in the country. I'd seen a game in every major league baseball stadium in the country. That's impressive. From somebody who was not interested in baseball at all and hadn't even attended a game until the summer of 2001. My first game was the Colorado Rockies. It was after I left Yellowstone. I came down, went into Denver. Um, I think I went by the Teton, uh, Teton National Park mm -hmm. and then went into Denver and I saw a Colorado Rockies game. That was my first ever game. And it was Mike Hampton was pitching uh, for Colorado. Uh, I think he just signed from the Mets. Massive mm. contract. I don't know if you remember that, how well you remember that era. And the last game that I saw was Houston versus Atlanta. And Mike Hampton was actually playing for the Braves at that time. And as I'm walking in, I notice there's a lot of people kind of hanging around. And as I look, Mike Hampton's there. I have my uh, Braves cap. I borrowed a pen from somebody next to me. And I have Mike Hampton's autograph on that cap. That, to me, is super special. It was like the comp It was funny that he was the first game I saw. And it was the last game that I, well, not the last game I saw, but it was the game that completed every major league stadium. And then somebody stole my wallet in the stadium and I was stranded in Houston with no money or anything for a while, which really, um, about an hour and a half later, somebody turned it in, but they'd taken all the money. And um, I had my cards at least, but I think it was like $150, which kind of sucked. But so that kind of left a bit of a sour moment for me, having seen that last stadium. But yeah, no, that was the, I think 2006 then, that record disappeared because St. Louis opened uh, their current stadium mm -hmm. up. And yeah, I can't say that anymore, unfortunately. I think I have four stadiums I haven't seen now. Well, yeah, because uh, the Braves have had a new stadium since then too, right? Braves is one. Braves, uh, Marlins. Oh, well. Um, St. Louis I still haven't been to. Uh, Texas. And if Oakland moves to Las Vegas, then that'll yeah. be five. So, um, yeah, no, from when I moved back to England in 2006, from 2006 to 2009, suddenly a whole host opened up. But luckily, they were pretty much all on the uh, on the East Coast. So I managed to go see New Yankee Stadium, uh, whatever replaced Shea Stadium. I can't even think what the Met Stadium is called now. Oh, boy. Uh, City Field. Thank you, City Field. So I got to see that. Um, obviously, Washington um, kind of changed. They finally had their stadium built as well because they were just playing in RFK Stadium for a while. So I got to see some of those stadiums. But yeah, so yeah, I'm four missing right now. And I would have done it if it wasn't for COVID. My plan was when it was just uh, three, I was going to do in 2020, I was going to do the two in the two in the south during spring break. And then we were going to go across to uh, Mel's brother-in-law um, who was over that way and stopping on um, St. Louis. But, yep, COVID stopped those plans, unfortunately. So Well, it's St. Louis, so the only redeeming factor about St. Louis is JCB, so. 
So I have seen a St. Louis game, but just I haven't seen it in the current stadium. So there's a few of those. I was kind of looking when I started this that I have got to see different teams I've seen in two different stadiums. Like the Reds, I got to see, I want to say Riverfront Stadium. Yep. And the Great American Ballpark, Yankees, new and old. Uh, DC in a couple of places, uh, Philadelphia, the Vet Stadium, and their current stadium uh, as well. So yeah, like I know Jackson's aim is to try and catch me up on stadiums. I'm like, you can't. I'm like, you can literally go and see every stadium, and you're not catching me up because I've got to see two different versions of some of these, some of these stadiums. It's just the way that it, um, it's just the way that it goes. And yeah. I do have to update my list at some point in the next week or so. Um, I did it about a year ago. Um, but I think I'm up to about 110 stadiums um, with a combination of minor league, major league, college, and um, other stadiums, sort of semi-professional leagues and things like that. So, um, so you've seen you so you've been to Target Field, in Minneapolis? I have, yes, yeah. That's okay. How is that? I heard the stadium's really nice. Um, I, was at the, I was at the old one, but I can't believe they oh, built the an old one. Door. Was diabolical. Yeah, I went to the um. Oh gosh, uh, it's what Herbert Humphrey. Reed, yeah, the, Metro, the Metrodome. Metrodome, yeah. Um, that stadium was awful. That that was that's definitely um probably my second worst stadium I've ever been to. Besides Wrigley uh, Field, the 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 worst two for me are um the uh, A.E. Stadium in oakland it's just bad but the worst stadium i think was a veteran stadium in philadelphia it was just cookie cutter stadium designed for football had no character at all it just a concrete prison it was awful i just hated that stadium but it's you kind of spoil when you've seen stadiums like camden yards and then you go up to a place like that and it's like this just stinks of the 60s when they just said all right you're gonna play football and baseball in here it's gonna have no character go ahead and I hated it. I, I absolutely hated that stadium. Well, um, I mean, you're you're wrong was, there because Wrigley Field is still the worst stadium ever. Yeah, I totally disagree. That's my number one stadium. That That's is my you are stadium of like all. that is five times worse than your take on Olives, Graham. That's yeah. the worst stadium it's, ever. It, Fenway is a very, very close second. And I'm sure you'd think with me being a Red Sox fan that I would pick Fenway first, but I don't. For me, Wrigley has far more character than uh, what Fenway does. Getting to sit with the bleacher bums and things like that, that that's an extra dimension to the Ivy. I know Fenway, if I could get to sit in those green monster seats, then I might be prepared to change my change my mind but no um but you you've got a rivalry with chicago so that's different see i don't well, it, it's full of cubs fans well i understand that i understand that my first cubs game i went to was against um, the red Sox, and it was the first time they faced in like nearly 100 years because it was when interleague play came up oh nice and i bought a t- guy came riding along on a bike he's like you're looking for a ticket i'm like yeah i'm looking for a ticket he's like hey it's like 40 dollars." so i was like okay 40 and then he rode off on his bike and i'm like oh my god you're an idiot he just rode off with you that's obviously not a real ticket and there's no way you're gonna get so anyway i walked in and thankfully it was a legit ticket but i was sat behind a pole <laughs> so i kind of had to lean out and say but that was part of that experience but no the um the the scoreboard all being done by hand and um i, I don't know i i think it has a lot of character that stadium uh, yeah, I try to pee on that stadium every time I walk by it. So I asked. I mean, Mason, pee Mason, on the stadium, not in. Uh, Mason, when we were about Mason was about six or seven when we went. This is before the Cubs won their World Series, so it's probably twenty fourteen, something like that, twenty fifteen. 
And because um, he had the sign that said 108 years or whatever it was since we last won a World Series. And I kind of asked him, like, afterwards, like, what was your best bit? And he was like, um, the bathrooms were amazing. He's like, they had this, like, trough and it went the whole way along. That was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was like, that was your best thing about it? It was, it was like the crappiest bathrooms you can imagine. But I think from his perspective, what he meant was it felt like you were in a stadium 100 years ago. That's how I interpreted what he meant in his uh, in his young mind, and it is. That's not what bathrooms are like in major league stadiums right now. No, I mean that, that might be the reason that you don't like it. Then that it's not, but that's the exact reason why I do like it because it's so different from all the current stadiums. No, see, I love Fenway. I, I don't tell oh, okay. Fenway. So yeah, no, it's not that. It's just because it's full of Cubs fans. Yeah. Um, they're they're in. Day- I, I could go on for fucking hours. <laughs> um, you know they have bricks that fall and kill people in the stadium. So. Um, yeah, so anyways, um, real quick, I'm going to pivot here real quick. You've got 110 stadiums. Um, do you have any idea how many venues you've seen wrestling in? Oh God. Um, I ha- I started a list. I think I've forgotten some, but. Oh my I d- gosh. I would have to write that down. Um, I'm going to guess probably about. I, my figure could be way out on this. I'm going to guess about 25. No. You think that's too I many or too few? Way too few. That's what I'm wondering. I might be way under on that. Because uh, I've got about... Know, in fact, I'm not even including things like WrestleMania or SummerSlam or things like... Yeah, there probably is more. I'm going to have to think about it. Oh, my God. I have a Facebook page. I have a Facebook folder uh, for photos, which is just wrestling. I'm really glad that I did that. I bet if I went through that, I could look at them and go, oh, yeah, there's this one here. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, I, yours will be, your count will be way higher than me on that. I know that. That was one of the things that was I was really impressed with when I kind of first got to know you. It'd be always like, oh, this week I'm going to go and see this event, and this week I'm going to go see this event. And be like, oh, my gosh, he's like all over. The, it's like a jet setter. <laughs> you're like, you're all over the country watching different events. And it was like, that's really cool. Like, that is super cool. Yeah. And it's funny is like I think I've only got like eight or nine states I've seen wrestling in. Maybe oh, is that all? Oh, yeah, I, I just I mean I just uh, huh. I did a count one time. I mean I've got New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland out that way. That's all I got out of, out that way. And then Ohio, Indiana. I finally got Indiana and Iowa, mm-hmm. Missouri. Yeah, it's ten maybe so. All right, if I do my states, then I can probably do that off the top of my head. Obviously, Virginia, that's without right. a doubt. North Carolina, because I saw SummerSlam 2000 there. Uh, Maryland, obviously, as well. Uh, Pennsylvania, I've seen. Ohio, New Jersey, New York, Delaware. Um, oh, Michigan, because I have saw I went to uh, Detroit, so I've seen that nice. as well. So there's nine off the top of my head. Um, if there's any more, I'm not sure. I think that sounds about right, actually. I don't think I've been... I haven't been to Massachusetts. I would love to go to Massachusetts and see wrestling there as well, but, but I haven't done it. Oh, I know. I, I already said New Jersey. I already had that one. Um, yeah, I've certainly been to nine, as far as I can tell. There might be a tenth one I've missed, but... I've seen, I've seen re- the stadium that WrestleMania was going on in New Jersey. And I went to a uh-huh. bullet club beach party in New Jersey, but I haven't been to a wrestling show in New Jersey yet. So, yeah, I've got to I've got to cross a bunch of states off. But I mean, I mean, I hit a lot in you know in, in the area, but Michigan's not one of them. Mm. 
I think I yeah, I think that the three states are missing from the Midwest Wrestling Roundup are Michigan and the two Dakotas. So Oh, I know what I didn't tell you about Michigan, because you were talking about having traveled there. Um the reason that I wanted to go to Michigan was uh, kind of a bit of a strange one. Well, part of it was um it was uh, spring break two thousand and four. And because you're making fun of me for not being a Green Bay fan, but this will prove that I am a Green Bay fan. So I went from Virginia to Green Bay because I wanted the cheese head. And being a football fan, I'd seen it on TV for years and I was like, I got to get me one of those. I'd heard the story about, and it might not even be true, plane was coming down to crash and they're like, get yourself in, brace yourself, ready for the position. And they use their cheese head to kind of support themselves a little bit and they survived the plane crash or but no i've seen those on tv and i was like i have to get one of those and i went up and unfortunately the stadium was being renovated that year so i couldn't do a stadium tour but i did the museum tour um went to the store and sure enough i bought myself a cheese head i then carried on up and went into uh when actually i think it, i came back actually to green bay i went through michigan first i wanted to go to the northern P- peninsula because i'd heard that for some reason they have cornish pasties there mm-hmm. now, cornwall's a part of england and that's actually where my mother lives right now and i was like how on earth did you get cornish pasties which is so specific to a small area in england suddenly in northern michigan and it was i guess they'd emigrated the miners mm-hmm. had emigrated and they took the cornish pasty recipe with it. and um, yeah i had a cornish pasty in michigan so that that was my michigan story but to link it back to green bay to show you that i do have a, a certain love for green bay um i took that hat with me back to england and kind of when i left in, i had a lot of sports memorabilia um when i left in 2009 and basically to my students i was like whatever you want take it like it is fine like i can't chip it with me i'm going back to america anyway so i'm gonna have all new stuff and that was the prized possession that people were fighting over everybody wanted the cheese head that was the one thing that kind of stood out and it did and since then you asked did i go to target field when i went to target field i was actually with a friend who's a big green bay fan um, who actually I was playing poker with this week. I haven't played with him and I haven't played poker in five years, but we got back together again. Um, he arranged for us to go see a scrimmage at Lambeau Field. He's like, do you want to go see a scrimmage? And I was like, you bet I want to see that. We got there three hours before the game. It's insane. Green Bay Packers, um, it's just ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the parking lots were already full. Everyone there is doing cookouts. They're throwing a football around and got into the stadium and like i said it's just a scrimmage it's like reds versus whites or whatever it was it's not even a proper game and the stadium's absolutely packed everyone's going crazy i can't imagine what a regular season game's like just that experience from not even a preseason game just a scrimmage that showed me how crazy green bay fans are i think they, they must be the most passionate fans in football and then we um yeah we we went up to see the Twins game. We saw a Brewers game. And I think that's where the picture I got with Bernie Brewer, I think. I'm pretty sure that was the picture I had. I still need to go down the slide. I've never gone down the oh, slide. Oh, God, yeah. That would be awesome. And yeah. I, I thought about breaking in. That might be the one thing that gets me fired. But um, my manager said he's going to get us down the damn slide. So he's been saying oh, that for a cool. while. So. Oh, that would make you got to film that as well. And then you can post that video on uh, social media as well. That would be awesome. I mean, I've been busting my butt over there for four years. I think it's about time. So I think it's definitely time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Packer fans, they're uh, they're 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 something else. Um, I I will yeah. say that for I mean, so was that scrimmage? It was in Lambeau, it wasn't at the field yeah, next to yeah, okay. Lambeau. Yeah, it was at Lambeau. 
Yeah, because they do like these open scrimmages at the at the Don Hudson Center and across the parking lot. And yeah, people go crazy for that it too. It was and... two thousand and nine. Um, so I'd just come back, and my buddy knew that I collected stadiums, and we I think we went up to New York to go and see that one. We saw that one, that one, and then I mentioned that I was kind of going to do a tour. Um, I was going to go see the Cubs again, but I wanted to sit in the bleacher seats with the the crazy Cub fans that you can't stand, and um, the White Sox. And and then the twins really it was to get to the twins, but then he threw in. He's like, "Well, how about watching a Green Bay game as well?" I was like, "Count me in, count me in." And obviously the Brewers as well. So yeah, it was like a little trip that I planned, and he wanted in on it. He actually flew out to Chicago. I picked him up in Chicago, and then drove back, and then dropped him off. The White Sox game that we went to, we did the Cubs. I think we did the tour, and then we did the game, and then we carried on off, and then we came back and did the White Sox. The White Sox game was just, it was announced as we were traveling to the game that Alex Rodriguez had just was just returning from his ban. Remember, he got busted for like 81 games or something for drug taking? That was the game he was returning to. Oh my god, I've never heard such loud boos in the game, and I was definitely taking part in it as well it's like boo all the camera crews are there and they're obviously interviewing lots of people it's like so what's going to happen with alex rodriguez it's, yeah memorable game didn't know it was going to be like that but yeah i've never heard booze like that when he was on the field it was um it was tough you'd think you'd bring him back for a home game <laughs> Not yeah, for the road game, but hey. uh, well, maybe they're upset with him too. So, Chico, Chico, Probably. let her poop, buddy. Let her poop. What are you doing? Let her poop. I'm talking to my cats. Oh, okay, she's out. Um, see, we don't I edit anything, don't edit okay. anything out as well. Oh man, so hi, sunshine. <laughs> she's in our room. Um, yeah, it's I haven't, I've I think I got 10 or 12 stadiums, but I mean, she's half of them aren't even there anymore. I mean, obviously County yeah. Stadium, yeah. Uh, the old Comiskey, um, the old Riverfront, and the old Bush Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, the old, and the old uh, Metrodome. So, yeah, it was, uh, um, I tell the story a lot, but yeah, you can kind of get where I get my, my craziness from. But my we went down to Comiskey Park. Obviously, Chicago's not that from far from Milwaukee. Uh, but in 87, I don't remember this or not, but the Brewers started off 13-0. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we were at Game Thirteen in down in Comiskey Park, so that was kind of cool. My dad was got on Good Morning America, a little crocked up, you know, at you know four o'clock in the afternoon, talking about the Brewers going to go one hundred sixty-two and zero. So, <laughs> still have not found that footage. I'd like to. So, wow, so you've been to one hundred ten different stadiums, then, huh? That's ridiculous. Yeah, all forty-eight states. Or no, oh, no, not even close. Okay. Not even close. No, there's a ton of states that I don't have. Yeah, it helped. And this is the other reason Jackson will never catch me is uh, around 2020, they limited the number of um, teams that you can have because some people would have like two single A teams and there'd be there was uh, the rookie leagues. And the, the, the so, yeah, they clamped down. And now it's pretty much you got, I think, triple A, double A, single A, and I think high A, I want to say. So yeah. I think every team now only has four affiliates. So some of those teams have set up their own independent leagues. Um, but yeah. Oh, wait, you've been to 110 baseball stadiums? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant, like, soccer, football. Oh, no, 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 just baseball. Just ba- Oh, God, I, if, oh, if I had total stadiums in, that number would be crazy. I can't even imagine what it would be. 110? Yeah. That's, like, 80, close to 60, 70% of the total teams. Um, No, there's, like, 300 minor league teams. 
And really think, how many, think how many college teams there are as well. There's a well, ton. oh yeah, but I mean, well, I was just talking about okay, so I was just thinking. So for major leagues, so I had visited all 32, and I think I've been to like 10 that have repeat stadiums as well. So there's like 42 just straight off the bat like that. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the main start, I would say. Wow. That's impressive. The the most games I've ever been to in one day, because I think you wanted to talk about this at some point, and we've kind of skirted around the timeline yeah. a little bit because that's how we talk when we talk right. together. Yeah. Um, was the day I was ready to propose to my wife. And it was kind of like, it was like the big decision. Like, this is a huge decision. Like, is this the right decision? Is this the right time? What am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. I got no idea. So anyway, I, I said to I said to her, I was like, I- I'm going to go see baseball today, which wasn't unusual. It was, we do different things at the weekend. We don't have to be together. We're only boyfriend and girlfriend at this point. Um, we don't have to be around each other the whole time. So I went to three games. I called it St. George's Day, which St. George is the patron saint, patron saint of England as well, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I can't remember the exact order, so I apologize if this is slightly wrong. But I think it started with uh, Georgetown, Georgetown University. I went to see one of their games. And then I'm missing the second George. I'm trying to remember what the second George is. Uh, This is going to drive me crazy. Um, Somewhere in D.C. anyway. It was around the area. All these games were really close together. I got to see a second game for that. And then the third game was in the evening. It was um, an affiliate of the Orioles uh, called Bowie, the Bowie Bay Sox. And their stadium is called St. George's Stadium. So to me, this was like the coolest thing. So I knew I had all day to think about this. Is this going to be the right thing? And um, yeah, anyway. So anyway, the third game, I remember it was like halfway through. We're texting to each other. And by that point, I decided I was like, I'm going to ask her. I'm like, I, this would be stupid not to. I definitely want to. I definitely want to get married. I definitely want to ask her. So I remember texting. And I was like, yeah, game's kind of like I'm kind of done with baseball. I think I'm just going to kind of head home. She's like, OK, we'll, we'll meet up. We'll meet up. So I did. I got home earlier and um, I was I was living with a good friend at the time. So it wasn't my own house. And I just remember he had this really annoying guest who just wouldn't stop yapping. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be really difficult to try and get a moment by ourselves. But anyway, I did. I got a moment. I said, hey, look, we need to come and talk outside for a second. And I went down on one knee and I proposed and she said yes. And then she was crying. And then we're blah, 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 blah. But um, yeah, that was um, that was my biggest baseball game. This annoying me. I can't remember what that third George is. Um, And then 10 days and then 10 days later, you were married. Well, it, what that wasn't the intention. The original intention was it was um, it was like May thirteenth, something like that, somewhere around that. And we had a family get together in Oregon in um, July uh, with her brother-in-law. Well, sorry, with her brother, um, well, my brother-in-law, and then the whole mm. family were kind of going out there and was like, "Well, that's that's kind of cool. Like we could do it. We could get married while we're out there because then all the family will be together." And then we quickly realized, oh, shoot, if we're moving back to England, your passport needs to have your new name on it. Otherwise, you're not getting across there. Everything that we need, the visa we need to apply for you has to have this new name on it. So it was like, we can't do that. We need to get married like now. And then you can change your name. And then we can start applying for all the stuff that we need for you to come back. So that's what necessitated it having to be done so quick. Now, I got into a lot of trouble with my mom because she'd been to visit me at spring break. And she just couldn't afford to fly straight back again. So none of my family are actually at the wedding at all. It was a very kind of small affair. 
And I think my wife was kind of happy as well because it didn't give her family a chance to make it this big, super big thing like plan all the dresses and plan all the meals. And for some people, they love to do that stuff. We're kind of simple people in the fact that we don't like anything that's over the top. So the fact that we could do it super quick. Um, yeah, the next day we went shopping for rings. Uh, the day after that, we decided, well, we don't have a chance to book a venue. So we're just going to go to the bar that we met at. Uh, we'll kind of run a tab for drinks. Um people can buy their own food if they want to um one of my co-workers said oh i make cakes i can make you a wedding cake perfect uh, my buddy who i was living with he lent me he lent me a suit because i didn't have a suit in the states either so everything kind of came together really quick uh took time off school and um yeah we got married on a wednesday i think it was so you basically got married so quick just so you could have her name changed for her passport that, that was the important thing yeah i was going back the plan was well that that was the reason why i had to make that decision as well like under normal circumstances i probably would have waited who knows three we'd only met each other at this point um we'd only known each other about four months five months it wasn't very long um i probably would have waited a little bit longer but i was going back to england just as i'd met her i'd already got like a job back in england my visa was coming up to for expiration anyway because i was at the end of my three years so I had I had a house in England. Like I had to go back to England. That wasn't even negotiable. The only question was, was she going to come back with me? So it, that was like, yeah, I gotta like I gotta ask her now because if she says if she says yes, then we got a lot to arrange to kind of get through all that stuff. And if she says no, I guess I'm going back to England, and it'll either be a long distance thing or we'll go our own separate ways. I guess. And 16 years later, there you go. Wow. That's yeah. all. Wow. I thought, I thought we had a shotgun wedding. I uh, mean, I, I, yeah, I asked her in May, we got married in October. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, same thing. I mean, but so yeah, we got married out in Idaho. So yeah, most of my family, my mom and my dad were there, which is interesting. Just the fact that my parents were in the same room, uh, uh -huh. was, it, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, mm -hmm. and thank goodness for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had like, well, and it was mostly her. I mean, she's got 10 brothers and sisters. Oh my um, gosh. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, we only had like ninety people, but yeah, we had like a ten grand wedding for like four grand because we did it where we worked. So they yeah. hooked us up on that. So oh, I mean, nice. I would, I'd rather. I mean, we spent a month in Indonesia for our honeymoon. So cool. I'd rather, I'd rather do that than have a big fancy fucking wedding. That, oh, spend all that money for one day. We didn't spend. I don't know what our total expenditure was. Uh, it was less than a thousand. I'm sure it must have been. And um, yeah, don't regret it for one second. That helped with the money that we saved from that meant deposits for houses down the line was easier to do. And uh, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. So no, don't regret that at all. The thing that was kind of strange with our relationship was I was actually I was actually introduced to my wife by my person, person I was living with at the time. Um, he went to a bar one night and I can't remember. I think I was sick that night, so I didn't go with him. And um, he met a friend of a friend, like it was somebody who I knew, and he knew them through me. And he saw them and Mel was with this other person. And anyway, he went over and said, Hey, how are you? Uh, got introduced to Mel. And that night he came back and he's like, I found the perfect person for you. Now he's never he never said that for him before. He's a businessman. He's a salesperson. He's a good salesperson. He knows how to talk. But he'd never said that before. So I was like, well, out of curiosity, I at least need to follow up with this friend. Like, it's not that difficult. Um, all I got to do is text him and go, say, hey, what's this deal with this um, Mel person? So sure enough, I did. I texted her and she texted back. She's like, oh, no, you guys are totally inappropriate for each other. I was like, oh, OK. All right. Never mind. Didn't think anything of it. And then a couple of days later, she responded back. You know what? You two might actually be good together. So like, hey, sure, whatever. So we arranged to meet up. It was like two days before Christmas Eve. 
I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was like December 22nd, something like that. We arranged to meet up at a bar. We did. Um, the whole party then, she was with her friends. I had my friends with me. And then we all came back to the house together, kind of chatted again. Uh, he had a big pool table downstairs. He's got like a big den everywhere. So it was a kind of a cool area to hang out. Carried on chatting. And um, I didn't even ask her for a number. But that was me being kind of shy. But I knew, I was like, I don't need to ask her for a number. Like, I can easily find a number. All I got to do is text her friend and say, hey, what's Mel's number? And then I got her number. And um, anyway, I managed to get the number that way, I think. And the following day, I was flying out to Mexico with my buddies. We were going to um, Cabo San Lucas. Um, that was part of my traveling thing. I was like, hey, I don't know when I'm going to get to go to Mexico again. Sure, why not go to Mexico? So, yeah, we flew out. And I remember chatting with her at, while I was at the airports. We were kind of texting back and forth. And um, my buddy actually said after that one night, he's like, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you right now, you guys are going to get married. And like every time, like when we're on like our second date or whatever, and he's around there, he's going, I'm telling you guys, you guys are going to get married. I'm like, can you stop that? Like that nothing worse on the start, just as you've started to meet someone and you kind of like them. And he's putting that, he knew. He no knew. Yeah. No pressure, yeah. Graham. Yeah. So. No, yeah. No pressure. Oh, and when my mom came over at spring break, she told me in very uncertain terms, she's like, you don't let that one get away. I was like, Mom, like, relax. Like, I got it. Like, I got, I, I, I got know, this, I Mom. I she's special. That's why I'm introducing you to her. Uh, but yeah, no, it was pretty clear early on that we were we were going to be together. It was just one of those. It was just one of those things. We naturally kind of clicked. So, but yeah, it was kind of lucky that my friend kind of did the the groundwork for me. He found my one for me. So, wow. Uh, under normal circumstances, I probably would have been with him, and I probably would have met her anyway. So I don't. Who knows? But just kind of strange how these things happen. But yeah, very quick. Did you guys ever do a uh, another wedding ceremony over um, across the pond for your family at all? No, no. The um the one thing they did do was we had to take um all our wedding attire across to Oregon with us because they wanted to do the photo shoot. Um, her family wanted to do a photo shoot. And I'm like, this is stupid. I was like, this isn't the official wedding. So anyway, we did it just to appease them. And um, yeah, but no, that, that that was all we did. Now we filmed it and sent them a copy of the video, um, sent some pictures as well. I did a joke. My joke was, at that time, I was wearing a lot of baseball caps. So I um, when we did the unofficial, I, to me, it was the official picture on the actual day. Um, I took a baseball cap with me and put my baseball cap on. I was like, can you take a picture now? Which they did. And then I took the baseball cap off and we had the real picture. But the one with the baseball cap is one of my favorite ones because it was clearly a joke picture. Like, um, yeah, I have kind of low standards with things like that, but I'm not going to get married in a baseball cap. I mean, I got married in shorts and my brewer's tie, so I got no worries to, you know, so my wife was very smart. She's like, if I put you in pants, you're going to get drunk and you're going to take your pants off in front of my family and it's not going to be good. I'm like, you're probably right. Oh, um, you're my hero, Tom. <laughs> um, I, I, I did have to fight for the brewer's tie, though, so that was, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, well, and we and it was funny because we got married outside, but it was, I mean, it was 32 degrees. I mean, it was October, but we're in the mountains. Ooh. You know, let's so we were worried it was gonna snow that day, so yeah, yeah, but wow, so yeah, I mean, so yeah, it was five months and then you guys were married, and yeah, I love the practicality of that, but it it's like it, it's practical but romantic in the same way. It's like, yeah, um, I mean, like you both know, it's like, okay, fuck it, we're, I mean, we're just meant to be, let's make this legal, and then just, we'll get our pay. It, it was very circumstantial, like, if it hadn't been for the circumstances, I was moving back to England within just over a month. 
then that might it would have been it was different, but it was it was the circumstances that we were placed in. Um, but I wouldn't want it dragged out over a year anyway. Like that's just not my style. And she's kind of low key as well. Like we don't need like hundreds of people to be there and lots of pictures taken and spending lots of money on it. Like it just, I don't know. It 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 just seems over the top to me. So yeah. I was that was one of the things that I, I kind of do love about her that she's not over the top like that as well. Um, she's very practical and sensible and, um, yeah, low-key. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife's the same way. I mean, she doesn't have very good taste of men, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, super easy going. I think the only reason it took me a little while to propose is because I actually wanted to go on a trip because she was still in school. So when uh -huh. we were dating, she she was, like, a good 200 miles away at college. Oh, okay. Um, So, like, for, like, I mean, for a good part, we, we, our, our relation, it, I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's convoluted. Um, oh. And I'll give you the details more off air someday. Uh, uh -huh. But, yeah, while we were dating, I mean, we were, so we're, our relationship was literally just the whole getting to know you, talking over the phone and everything part, you know, so... um. Where was I going with all this? Oh yeah, but listen, yeah, with our wedding listed, I mean, I know people have spent more on their wedding rings than I spent on my wedding. And they said, yeah, I mean, we we exactly. literally we literally yeah. had four honeymoons the first year we were married. Mm -hmm. Like we slept in a different, we didn't sleep in the same bed. I mean, we slept in the same bed together, but we didn't sleep in the same bed like more than two weeks in a row. I mean, we were just traveling everywhere. Cool. Um. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, because she, she served her mission down in Indonesia, so that's why oh. I went down there and said, yeah, just a month down. It was awesome. So, but this is not about me; it's about you. But that's an awesome story, Graham. I I knew bits and pieces of it, but yeah, no, her ring was actually her grandmother's ring, so she just had to get it resized. So that was zero cost, and mine was pretty inexpensive. I think mine was like a hundred dollars or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I yeah, Ooh. I've got this. Mine's maybe a you know, it's inscribed, but yeah, maybe a twenty five dollar ring, but. You know, but I don't even I don't even wear mine anymore. My it's it's um I can't think what the uh, titanium, so yeah. you can't resize it. And my fingers are just way too big now. My fingers are swelling up, so I just I can't wear. Like I could wear it around my neck with a, but that, to me it's it's irrelevant. Everyone knows we're married. Like we've been married for sixteen years at this point. So, and if you don't know, then I don't really care if you know. Like it's yeah. not important to me. It's not important if you know that. So. Yeah, because I had a friend. I had a, um, it was. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but I mean, I had a friend of ours make it. But uh, her birthstone's an opal, and opals are not very tough. Mm -hmm. Um, so her last, her ring didn't last very long. But it was a, a good friend. You know, I just thought if I'm going to make this big important decision, it's it's it was good energy. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so shout out to my good friend Cole. I haven't talked to that guy forever. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and then so you guys were moved. So when did you guys move back to the states permanently? Then well, I. I guess we could have moved back in about one year. Like I had a house, so I needed to, I needed to get all, I needed to get my affairs taken care of. Like I had all my stuff in England, like at my parents as well. So I needed to get all that stuff out as well. And I just, I just needed time. Like I'd already accepted a job at that point. So I couldn't really burn that bridge as well. And in fact, I wanted to go back to the Isle of Wight. Like I, I love the Isle of Wight. This is my, it was my third time being there. It's just one of those places that keeps dragging you back. And that's why some people just never escape that place. Um, I can see why it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, but yeah, we did three years, which just kind of felt about the right time. It gave me time to um, sort out my affairs and to get back to America. But this time it was more difficult because on the previous two occasions, being part of that program, they take care of all the visa stuff for you. So it's kind of, kind of easy. They set up the job for you. It's all it's all done. This time I had to do all that stuff by myself. So that was a lot more difficult. And I was kind of lucky in the end that I managed to get back to the same school that I first taught at. 
So they knew me. So once there was a vacancy, it was like, oh, you remember Graham? He was here for three years, three years ago. So that was, but it was also at the time when there was um, a lot of financial issues in the States as well. There was a lot of cutbacks. There was a recession going on. Uh, nobody was employing it. No one was hiring at that point. So even like a few weeks before I was coming, getting ready to move back, I didn't have a job. I had no job at that point. So it was really difficult. But then they started um, advertising. And um, luckily, I had a big advocate for me on the other side. They're like, you'd be crazy. Why are you even interviewing people? Get Graham back here. Like, he, know, he knows exactly what he's doing here. And um, sure enough, somebody did listen to me. And that interview was kind of easy as well. It was like, oh, yeah, Graham, how are you doing? Like, yeah, good. When can you move back? Kind of like it was it wasn't quite as quick as the previous one. But it was like a five minute interview, essentially. Uh, but it wasn't anything that was stressful at all. It was more like a casual chat. So, um, yeah. So it took it took three years to to kind of get back. But Mel was enjoying the experience of having lived in England as well, because she she'd actually taught abroad as well. She was in Hungary for a little while, and um, she was also in Austria, and she'd done nice. some to places like Denmark as well. So that I think that was the other thing I really liked. Like she understood that idea of traveling. She understood mm -hmm. the idea of visiting different places. So that was definitely one of the, I think that was one of the things why we really kind of connected uh, kind of very early on. So no, she, she enjoyed that experience of being in England for three years. And I got to show her places where I'd grown up when we we're on our holidays. So uh, yeah, that was kind of a really cool experience as well. Yeah. I mean, that was the big thing else that I mean, I had to make sure that I could travel with her. Um, and that was the big, yeah, we went to a trip. Uh, yeah. We're, we were, um, yeah, New England, uh, doing uh, tallest points in New England. So, yeah, we're all over. And I got showers to live in Massachusetts and everything. So, I'm like, it worked. I'm like, okay. And I decided, I'm like, all right, we're getting, you know, I didn't tell her this. And it was really kind of funny. Um, we got into this huge argument about it, you know, because I mean, because we've been dating it, you know, like two plus years at this point, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, she's like, you, you know, it was like it became like a deal. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to propose to you because you're angry about it. I'm going to propose to you. Um, but I had kept lying to her that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to get married, but I'm like already making the plans and everything. So okay. I was like, oh, I was like, why are you doing this to me? So and then I, you know, then I had I had went down to where she um, grew up and I got permission from her dad. And then her dad calls. I was like, oh, yeah, your boyfriend show. I'm like, why? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but she was so immersed in school that I mean, I probably could have told her we're getting married. And she might not even have noticed. Um, so it worked out. But um, yeah, that, that's that's hilarious. I mean, yeah, traveling is. I mean, so if, if it's something you're passionate about, you have to make sure you're compatible because there's nothing worse than traveling with, you know. Well, we traveled at spring break. I know my parents came to... I'm, actually, I'm trying to think how this would have worked. I know my parents came to visit me. Perhaps they came the week after spring break. But yeah, we traveled down to Florida, drove all the way down because um, I wanted to see some uh, I wanted to see some baseball. Um, it wasn't uh, spring training because it just didn't uh, work out that way. But yeah, we went to see a lot of minor league teams down there. Uh, the Sarasota Reds, I remember. The Tampa Bay Yankees. Uh, I want to say the Jacksonville Suns. Uh, there was a, a Clearwater Tides, perhaps. But yeah, we probably saw about five or six. So, but yeah, she said, I'm down to see any live sporting event, basically. I was like, cool. That, that, that works for me because I love doing that sort of stuff. Like she's not interested in watching like a baseball game on TV, uh, but she, she likes going to watch a baseball game at a stadium. And she's quite happy watching minor league stuff as well because she says that's more interesting because there's more errors 
because they're not as good, which makes the game more entertaining as well. Yeah. So it wasn't even a case of like, I've got to take you to a major league base. She she likes watching live sports. Uh, probably for the same reason I do. It's the it's the atmosphere. Uh, it's relaxed. You can get food. You can get a drink. You can do other stuff while the game's going on. You can chat. Um, but yeah. So yeah, yeah we played so- it a little bit before as well. That yeah, that's uh, that's huge. Um, so speaking of so speaking of England, if I was in England for like a week, um, where would you recommend I go? And it sounds like I might just go to the Isle of Wight and spend a week on there. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd necessarily recommend that. I, I think you just want to stay in London, to be honest. It's it's uh, trying to go much further than that. Uh, you could do a day trip to somewhere. Like if you want to take a day trip to go and see uh, Stonehenge, you could. But there's so much to see in London. Uh, if you've never been to London before, you can easily do seven days in London, no problem at all. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't been to the Europe yet, so we need to cross that off the list. So. Yeah, my buddy who I went to the uh, Twins game with, he's actually going over to London for the first time in about a month's time. So he was asking me a lot of these same sort of questions, but he'd already done all the preparation ahead of time. He's like, hey, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and this. Did I miss anything? I was like, shoot, you sound like you're overprepared as far as I can tell. Um, No, there's a lot. There's a lot you can see in London. It's just London's so big. Like, if you don't realize it, it's just like the size of take five biggest cities in America, put them all together, and that's London. London's huge. London is absolutely huge. And there's just so much history there as well. And um, so many museums you can see, so many historic buildings. And I still haven't seen everything I want to see in London. So I I would say don't venture too far from London. There's no reason to, really. I don't know if I just, I don't know. It sounds, it sounds a little touristy, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, Yeah, like the Isle of Wight just kind of sounds a little bit more my speed for sure. Did you guys go back there when you guys were there last uh, this summer? We didn't this time. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't, we were planning on going for a day because that's actually where Mason was born. So we took him last time, uh, but it was like $200 for the car ferry. It was really expensive. Normally I used to go as a foot passenger, so it was like £10 return um but yeah it's a little different when you got a car and when you live in mainland the mainland fees to the island are more expensive than the island fees to the mainland so the island people get a subsidy uh but the other way around it's a little different no we were going to go for a day and the day we were planning to go it was going to be raining all day and we'd actually just bought a pass for some historic ships in the town adjacent Portsmouth. So we actually spent an extra extra day walking around all the ships there. We did a submarine tour. A submarine oh, nice. tour. Um, we got to walk around um, HMS Victory, which is the ship that, um, oh gosh, I was about to say Napoleon was on. No, it's not Napoleon. It's the other one. Uh, Nelson. It was Nelson's ship. Okay. Uh, the Battle of Trafalgar. So that was kind of like a significant ship as well. Uh, we got to see the remains of the Mary Rose, which was Henry VIII's ship that sank like 400 years ago. They raised it all up and they're restoring it. And th- th- there was just a lot of cool stuff. That's cool. Yeah, we bought the pass because um, Jackson wanted to go predominantly. And I wanted to go. I hadn't been in probably about 15 years. Um, and it'd been updated, but... Everything was super expensive. Basically, you had to buy the year pass where you can go as much as you want. And for the things that we saw on the first day, it's like, we're just not getting enough value here. We need to do this on the second day as well. And as it was raining on the Isle of Wight, and a lot of this stuff was indoors anyway, we just went back and did a second day there. So, no, we we wanted to, but it just didn't quite work out. Because your your wife's from the States, right? Mason's not. No, Mason was born in England. Oh, so that was my next question. But no, your wife's from here, from the states. Oh, yeah. So. Sorry, yeah, my wife's okay. from here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I was, that was my next question. So Mason was born over there, then, huh? 
Mm-hmm. I was yep. kind of doing the math in my head. I was like, wait yeah, a minute. Yeah, he was um he was 18 months when he came over. So he learned his language skills at that point, obviously, he's not really. And he's listening to he's with Mel most of the time anyway. So he's hearing an American accent anyway. So it's not like because they're like, oh, does he sound English? I'm like, no, he's he's you can't, he's American. Um, but yeah, so he moved across, yeah, he moved back at 18 months. So Hall okay. is language development. Sure, he hears me, but he's hearing mainly American voices, so he's he sounds American. Does he have dual citizenship? He does. They both nice. do. Yeah, they both do. Yep. Well, Jackson does too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, he has the option. He he has the choice. Like, uh, I think I think they have to make a decision. I think they have to make a decision at some point what they want their official nationality to be. I think it's like at twenty five, they got to make a decision. Do you want to be American or do you want to be British? Uh, but you still have apparently dual citizenship even after that point. Nice. Okay. You've got yeah, to kind of make an official first choice, but they, they'll both choose America, which is perfectly okay. Yeah, because I had um, a cousin who used to work for the New York Times, but yeah, they had a kid born in Poland, one in South Africa, and one in North Carolina. Mm. So the two kids had dual citizenship, but yep. but both their parents were from the states. So okay, gotcha. Sure. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I was, I was just like, huh, it's just one of those things you kind of think about. So let's say you're talking about. I was doing the math. I'm like, wait, Mason was born in England, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. That was the reason why we wanted to go back to the Isle of Wight because he didn't know what it, it must be kind of weird to not know what it's um, to have no mental image of what it's like where you were born. So, um, yeah, the last time we went back, we showed him all the houses he grew up in because we we kind of moved every year. Like, he wouldn't remember it. Um, right. Showed him the playgrounds he played on. And well, basically, I just guessed to show him where dad kind of did his early years of teaching as well. So, but yeah. Yeah, and then you guys moved to Virginia, and now it's happily, uh, happily ever after, huh? What's that? Wow, What's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Graham, ask me about the podcast at some point. <laughs> um. Well, you know, I was just thinking about that. We might actually have to leave that for a part two. Um. <laughs> unless you, I mean, we could. Go, I mean, we could. I go just keep... looked at the clock. I was like, um, I'm sure at some point you mentioned we were going to be talking about promoting the podcast. <laughs> um. Wait, well, yeah. we did talk about that if we're doing my podcasting story, um, it's kind of got to include Matt Willis as well. So it, it might be a good idea to, um, I could give you, I could give you the, I could give you a brief rundown, right. kind of let, then when Matt comes on, if you do that episode, then that'll be the, that'll be a part two. How when, that? not if, it's up to you guys. Oh, no. We'll, I, I'd love to have you guys on. So you just oh, let me know. We love to talk to you. Matt will oh. talk about anything. He loves that. Like, that's his crack, like getting invited on podcasts. So he would definitely accept. So, so, mate, I got back into wrestling. Like, I, I was watching wrestling when I was first come to the States because I couldn't get it on cable in England. So, WWE was all new to me. So, I got into all that stuff. Time of Rock and Austin. What a time to get into wrestling. And then kind of drifted out. Didn't watch it when I was in England. And when I came back, I watched a little bit, but only, only probably about a year of the three years because I'm traveling. Um, I'm meeting my wife at this point as well and other things. So, I only watched for about a year. And then, like most people do, drift out of wrestling for a long time. And then I got a video from the library, like the best of WWE, I don't know, 2013, 2014, 20, I, it was like a few videos. And I started watching people like uh, CM Punk, uh, Roman Reigns and The Shield, uh, Daniel Bryan. I was like, oh my God, these guys are amazing. And then I just kind of started dipping my toe in a little bit, watching a little bit more within the back of my mind thinking, how about this is something that Mason would like? So anyway, started watching that. Um, started watching Impact Wrestling when I saw the six-sided ring. I was like, oh, nice. 
that's kind of cool. Like I've never seen anything like that before. That's kind of interesting. So yeah, we actually started watching Impact Wrestling together. Uh, started watching WWE, um, and then at this point, I started to set up like Twitter accounts, uh, but just my general account, just MGB Graham at this point. And I started to interact with a few people. Um, I'm listening to podcasts, and uh, Ryan, who's now on Good Cop Bad Cop, um, I interacted with him because of indie wrestling. Um, he had a podcast called The Blade Job Show, so that was one. And Mason, at the same time, he's really into wrestling. He wants to take in as much as he can. He wants to listen to podcasts. Now, the problem is there's a lot of podcasts that are suitable for me, but are not suitable for a then nine-year-old. So I'm trying to kind of listening to the episodes first, and then if they're appropriate, he can listen to them. And trying to find different shows. And he hears me talking about the Blade Job Show, but there's no way in hell he's watching that Blade Job <laughs> Show. To Ryan is, I love Ryan to death, but he is not a kid's podcast. And he knows that. And he knows that perfectly well. There were a few that we did find. Uh, Super Kicking It with Kelsey was definitely one of those. Oh, that's we okay. Um, love Kelsey's content. I, I just wish that she had wrestling again. That, that was one of the first ones I really kind of got into. And um, yeah, a few with interviews and I kind of found a few, but it was kind of difficult. It was really difficult. And I remember talking to Ryan about this and they said like, yeah, he's not listening to Blade Job, blah, blah, blah. And he just made the very throwaway comment. Like, he's like, you guys should do a podcast. And I just didn't really process it at all. And at that point, we were kind of talking in the car about wrestling. Like, hey, what did you think about this match? Blah, blah, blah. Um, we're not going to indie events or anything like uh, Actually, we've, we have started to go to indie events at this point. So we are talking about, hey, what did you think of this match on the way home? Blah, 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 blah. Just kind of chatting, dad dad and son talking about wrestling and i just kind of mentioned that comment i was like oh i was talking to ryan on the blade job show and he's like we should I, he thinks we should have a podcast blah 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 and nothing kind of came of it and then it was valentine's day 2018 and on his ipod he typed in all these notes he's like i want you to read this so i sat down and read it and it's like i think we should do a podcast uh it should could be called mgb wrestling podcast m is my initial uh, G is your initial and B is our last name. Uh, we should talk about WWE. Um, blah blah. We can buy some uh, microphones to record the pod. And I was blown away. This is a guy who's just turned ten at this point, and I was amazed at how much thought he. Obviously, he'd taken this idea from Ryan that I just not even really thought about, and was like, "Oh yeah, we should. We should do a podcast. We should totally do a podcast about wrestling." Um, I knew nothing about nothing about podcasting at all at that time, um, but I posted on Twitter very quickly. I was like, this is a message I just got from my son. Um, I need help. And Ryan was one of the first people that responded. There was actually a lot of people who responded um, who gave me a lot of help and advice, um, like get this microphone or watch this YouTube video or you need to download Audacity, uh, blah, blah. And my head was just kind of spinning. So I set up his Twitter account. I remember doing that. And it also I said, well, we you know what we shouldn't just do WWE. Why don't we review Nova Pro events? Like because we do that every month as well. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, we should totally do that. So I think actually the first show was actually a review of a Nova Pro event. He started <laughs> taking his notebook to the event, writing things down. I would do the same, and then we would sit in front of a laptop. Um, we did buy microphones, but we couldn't get them. We didn't realize that they weren't working. I, I didn't plug them in somehow correctly. And it was just return. It was just recording from the internal microphone. Anyway. So that's how I record now. I, I haven't changed anything in five years. Um, I did all the editing cause he was 10 years old. I'm like, I'm fine with that. Um, and, um, put them out on YouTube. Cause to me that I bought a, 
I bought a package that was fairly inexpensive, Kazoa. I don't remember what it was. It was like $30 or something, uh, but figured out how to do that, put them up on YouTube. Um, I think at that point I'd had been talking to, yeah, Chad and Diesel had obviously got their podcast, View from the Top Rope, and I used to send quest. Oh, that was the other podcast that I always used to listen to. I would send them in questions on a weekly basis as well because I thought it was interesting, and I guess they heard about it. And um, I remember them talking about them. They were setting up a network, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, we received um, an invite from them. And this was probably about three, four episodes in on YouTube um, asking, would we want to be part of the network or something? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know how to get on iTunes. I don't know how to do any of that. I still don't know how to do any of that stuff. Uh, If it wasn't for those guys, I would be back on YouTube. If they suddenly said, we're not doing this anymore, I would be back on YouTube straight away because I don't know how to do it. And um, yeah, and then we heard all the announcement, and then we heard the announcement on the show. We're like, we're really excited. We've got this really good podcast coming on. I'm thinking, oh my God, what do we let ourselves? And then they announced it was us. And I was like, oh my God, what are they doing? I'm like, we're like, <laughs> like not that we were the stars of the show or anything, but I was like, if this is your big announcement, this network is going to be in big trouble. Like, we don't really know what we're doing. We're having fun with it. Um, we did get a lot of positive feedback from uh, several people at the start, which was really helpful. Um, I think probably my biggest um, advocate was um, Mags, uh, Podfather Mags. He sent like messages saying, hey, I thought it was really good, really enjoyed the show. And I think we needed that, those first few episodes. I think without that kind of positive message, it might have been like, we're kind of talking into a void here. Um I don't know. It just seemed like we need, and he's obsessed as a 10 year old. He was obsessed with how many views have we got? How many views have we got? And like to him, that was like the validation. Mm-hmm. So it, when we didn't have many people really listening at that point. So, but yeah, it, so we were on, so we start, like I said, it was Valentine's day and the network started on April 1st. So it kind of happened really quickly within the period of about six weeks, we went from him saying, I'd like to do a podcast was suddenly appearing on what was then Visionaries Wrestling Network and yeah we had two episodes it was every week we had our wrestling episode and if there was an independent show that was our bonus episode I guess and we kind of coded them as A1, A2 A3 and then the second year we coded it B1, B2, B3 and um, yeah and then third year we got hit with um, we got hit with COVID, so we couldn't go to any wrestling events, and we kind of switched over to interviews. We kind of had followers on Twitter. So, um, yeah, we kind of reached out to a few people, and that was great. Uh, I'm not COVID, obviously, is not great, but that was a really fun thing to do in COVID, talking to wrestlers and yeah. talking about the minutiae as well, talking about things behind the scenes, which we hadn't always had the chance to do. We actually just kind of started it before COVID. In fact, we talked to um, O'Shea Edwards, at the very last event before COVID hit, we kind of very cheekily asked him. Um, I, I can't remember what he asked us. Something I was like, hey, we just became your, I don't know, 2,000th follower. Do you think we could get an interview or something? It was like really cheeky. And yeah. he was like, as it's you guys, of course. And he couldn't have been more gracious. He was a heel at this point for primetime pro wrestling as well. But um, he went back, went to the back, kind of got changed. We waited like 15 minutes because he's showering, getting cleaning up. Came out. Couldn't have been nicer. He talked to us for about 15 minutes. I think we asked for like a five-minute interview, and he talked to us for about 15 minutes. And I think that was what kind of was like, oh, this interview and stuff's kind of fun. And that kind of led into season three for uh, for MGB. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, – my intention was I thought about doing a podcast at some point, but my in my head, my podcast was going to be baseball. And that's kind of why I did that last summer. 
it was always like the Brit who likes baseball. Like that's <laughs> kind of weird. And I always thought my book would be the Brit who had visited every baseball stadium. And I was crushed when I saw once in the, I was in uh, Weathers, uh, Waters, Water, oh gosh, I can't, Barnes and Noble somewhere like that. And I saw there was a book, somebody had already written the book I thought I was going to write. There was a Brit who'd already done it. I was like, ah, shit. So yes, but I thought podcasting would, um, I thought if I ever did podcasting, it would probably be on something like baseball. It was never going to be on anything like wrestling. But as a teacher and as a dad, how can I turn down an experience for a kid who wants to do that? And this is a kid who's kind of shy as well. Doesn't really doesn't really talk about things like that. Um, like not. And he actually, we we as we kind of did our episodes further in, he actually talked about the fact that it really helped him gain in confidence, like um, practicing to speak for an audience, thinking about what you're going to say um it really helped his confidence so um yeah it was um a great experience but i guess at some point the how did good cop bad cop come around it is related to mgb but that'll i guess that'll we'll, we'll save that one for part two but yeah i yeah. think mgb is kind of finished now he's 15 we haven't done an episode in a year um but his younger brother still likes doing that stuff but he got into it see i didn't i thought i was just gonna be recording with uh, mason within we didn't even think of including jackson why would you include a four-year-old on a podcast <laughs> And within a couple of episodes, he kind of wanted to get part of it as well. So we tried to invite him in whenever we could, had like little quizzes for him to do. Um, I think he challenged Matt a couple of times as well. There was things like that. There was like a few things that were going on. And um, yeah, no, he, he would come back from daycare and he's like, can we record a podcast? Didn't have any idea what he was doing. Had no idea, but he knew he wanted to talk. He liked that kind of celebrity thing. Like it felt like something... It, it appealed to him, and gosh, I don't even know. I make fun of how many podcasts Matt's had. Jackson has had so many different podcasts, it's not even funny. It must be at least six, seven, eight now at this point, because he has a low attention span. He'll do something for 10 episodes, and he's like, I'm done. But 205 Live was his kind of, I think that was his first podcast. I should get Matt to explain it. Matt knows my podcast history better than I know my own. But he was just coming up to five years old, and he wa he didn't want to be part of MGB. He wanted his own podcast, and he just started watching 205 Live. And I said, oh, 205 Year Old Live. And we did that for, I think it was about 25 episodes, something like that. And that was fun. It was short show. Like 205 Live, what is it, 40 minutes? Perfect yeah. for a four and a half year old or five years old as he was becoming and then as a six year old and um yeah we recorded that the show was short i think some of the episodes are only like 10 minutes um but that kind of started him on his podcasting career and the episode we recorded today was 57 minutes so nice. he, he's at an age now mason started recording when he was 10 mason's uh, jackson's only nine and he already has four and a half five years of podcasting experience it's scary how good that little guy is going to be he's got more experience than any like when you were growing up did you ever think about doing like your own radio show or recording content to put out for other people like i didn't that never even crossed my mind yeah. he has five years experience of that already um as a nine-year-old so um yeah it's going to be interesting to see where he goes with um uh with his show for sure and um oh to mention matt one last time so to, to kind of bridge that gap a little bit i guess um yeah i knew matt but didn't really know him well he was an acquaintance rather than a friend and like, a, like a twitter acquaintance or a real life acquaintance uh, through a Facebook group. Okay. Um, it was through a, a sports group in England where we both kind of posted. 
And um, I guess, I can't remember if we were Facebook friends. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I can't remember. We might have been, but I, I can't remember for sure. And I guess I might have posted somewhere that, that we released a podcast. I guess I was trying to get the word out wherever I could. And he saw it, and I didn't know he was a wrestling fan at all. And he asked if he could be a guest. And we were like, absolutely. And it was quickly evident at that point that he would, kind of like with you as well, if you're that passionate about something like that and you have that sort of knowledge, you 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 should be you should be using that voice as well. You you should be a podcaster as well. So um that was um yeah, that was kind of he said that he had done some YouTube videos before, but he I guess he had some bad feedback or he'd received some negative comments and it kind of turned him off from the whole experience and he'd stopped doing them. So but it was clear to anybody that he should be he should be a podcaster. He can talk for hours just like we have tonight. Yeah. And well, I mean, we've heard him do six hour podcasts. So. <laughs> Speaking of Chad and Diesel. So, um, well, Graham, I think that's actually a relatively decent stopping point, at least on that story. Uh, we'll leave some, some meat him on the bone for the high fivers here. Yeah, um, we nearly got three hours and 14 minutes inappropriately. <laughs> it's close. Uh, you know, I mean, and Graham said, well, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, well, you. So, I mean, here we are. Um, I told you you had an interesting story, Graham. So I, I don't know interesting is the right word, but I knew that we can. Um, this, as I'm this intrigued. Is, as this is like the, I would say on your, specifically on your shows, this is my third appearance on your shows. And you've been on uh, Good Cup, Bad Cup as well. I, I kind of found today was easy because I knew I didn't have to prepare anything. Um, like last night when we recorded Ring of Honor, obviously I needed to watch the show ahead of time and I needed some facts to go with it. But yeah, we don't really have um, a problem with uh, talking. <laughs> finding talking. Um, but no, when you've got those shared interests and when you've got, like I say, you've got that experience of traveling, I got that experience of traveling. I find it interesting talking about traveling to different countries and people's different experiences. And it sounds like you have that same thing. So no. when that happens, it's not difficult to uh, suddenly get those stories. Like if you do stay in the same area, you don't have as many stories, I don't think. No. You get those stories by putting yourself out there and going experiencing things. And that's why I, that's why I keep doing it. And that's how Jackson gets his podcast as well. You go and do something, it's like, oh that's kind of interesting that's sounds like that might be something that's worth worth sharing even if it's only just to a few people but, how many miles do you think you guys put on your car every summer going to baseball games because i mean you're i mean a lot of these games actually, you're going like an hour and a half two three hours i actually just traded cars so um my car was 10 years old it had ninety thousand miles on it so i was nine thousand a year but my commute's super short it's like will was saying the other day he said is a short mine's like um three and a half miles so my commute's pretty short so i don't really do any during the week the only thing i'm putting miles on for is when i'm traveling and 2020 and 2021 that kind of got really taken down a lot yeah uh, if we're traveling up to ohio we're normally traveling in my wife's car okay and then if i'm going to detroit i'm just borrowing her car so that takes some of the so you might be thinking i didn't do many miles i probably did more but it's kind of difficult to tell you exactly how many but yeah i was averaging about nine thousand compared to thirty-five thousand when i first came to the state <laughs> yeah putting seventy thousand miles on in two years so um, yeah, the the three years when I was back in Virginia, I put seventy thousand on in three years, so I was still averaging over twenty thousand miles a year at that point. So, and for, some, and, some good traveling. And people don't realize, especially I mean, you know, out west they think they have the the what's the word I'm looking for? Like the the only states that are big. Virginia's a big fucking state. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember looking at some minor league team. I was like, oh, this is in Virginia. It's like four and a half hours, five hours. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. Yeah. I have been to the tallest point in your state, by the way. Oh, I don't even think I know what that is. I it's Mount Rogers, but it's about it's about a probably about three miles from North Carolina, so that tells you how far south it is. So, uh, okay, yeah. One of my big disappointments last year visiting um, North Carolina. I said we went to Asheville. There was a lot of places I did want to go to. Uh, we did go to Grand um, Chimney Rock Mountain, which is one I have not been to in twenty years. That was fun to see. I did want to go and see Mount Mitchell, but unfortunately, we we we, we couldn't do it. It didn't really fit into the plans. It was a lot of it was way out of the route we were taking. But that I believe is the tallest point east of the Mississippi, east if of South I'm... Dakota, actually. Oh, okay. People do say okay. east of the Mississippi, which is correct. However, yeah, you don't call them into a tar point. Even further. Okay. So I'm, I'm a, yeah, I've got a friend of mine. Um, well, actually, said trip. Faith and I took our first trip, but she's she's doing all the tallest points in all fifty states. So that's how I know these things. So, oh, um, okay. but we did Mount Mitchell, but we actually, I mean, I know you can drive up to it, but we actually hiked up to it. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah so. um, I think you can literally park right at the top and like kind of walk just a few feet, or you can park a little lower down and walk up. We did that, but you can park right down at the bottom as well. But, and yeah. go to the gift shop and right there, like we talked about earlier, five five feet from the gift Pretty shop. Much. So. Pretty much. Wow. Hey, let me share this story with you from Mount Mitchell. Um, so we decided to do um, a camping trip. So my buddy had already got his tent. I, he might have even shipped his tent out with him because he was more outdoorsy. I didn't have a tent, so I just went to Walmart. And um, anyway, saw this tent. Now, this is the mathematician in me. Um, so I'm about six foot. I'm a little bit over six foot. I saw this tent that was five foot by four foot. Now, obviously, that's that's too small, right? Like, I'm five foot ten for a six foot person. It's not good. Pythagorean theorem says that you, can, if you square the two sides and add them together, you can work out the diagonal. So I did. So 5 squared, 25. 4 squared, 16. Add them together, 41. Do the square root of 41. It's about 6.5. So I'm like, perfect. This tent will work beautifully. 6.5 feet. I can just sleep on the diagonal. I'm good. I don't know how I missed it. But anyway, as we got out, we're unpacking. It's late at night at this but It's starting to get dark. It says kids' tent on the side, which is why it's five foot by four foot. And um, my, as my friends recalling this story to other people, is like, all I can hear is like, what the fuck? Like, how is this so fucking small? Like, yeah, I, it was way too small for something <laughs> my size, but it was for one night. So I just crunched up my knees and did the best that I could. But um, yeah, I didn't take that tent with me on any more trips after that. But it was. Uh, I'm just picturing. That's one of my favorite experiences of North of Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. Um, I'm just picturing Graham just like yeah, crammed into it. That's hilarious. So I I have a picture somewhere because he took one as I'm poking my head out through the tent, and you look at this tent and you can see it's small. Like you can't when it's in a box, you can't tell that it's super small. But once it was unpacked, it was like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. This is for a nine year old. This is not for a this is not for a grown ass man, but. It makes for the experience, and it got the. They were. I was the brunt of uh, the brunt, uh, brunt of all jokes that weekend. So it was like, hey, it's all good. That's hilarious. Um, actually, a really quick question, really random question. Speaking of North Carolina and Virginia, do you know where um the north end of the Blue Ridge Parkway starts by any chance? I couldn't find like in any research. Um. 
I don't think I do. Um, okay. Doesn't it go through? Doesn't it go through Shenandoah, or is that completely different? It might. Yeah. I'm trying to. Rem- yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think there's a Bill Bryson book about the Appalachian Trail, but I think that's something oh, slightly no. different as well. So, um, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I hate Bill Bryson. Oh, you do? I don't know why. Just like his writing style is just super whiny to me. Really? I, I, have you read his books about England? I don't think so. Okay, then those might be more appealing to you. Obviously, he has different because he's kind of like me, has him. We've lived in both places, so you mm-hmm. kind of relate to both. Um, but I think he's, I, I reread um, uh, his second book about England like 20 years later and revisiting it. And I, I find it really insightful. I can, I, I, can, I guess I relate to some of those things, some of the things that have changed. Like when you move in around like that over a course of time, you do notice there's differences within your own country as well. And when you left it, it's not the same as when you get back. And you've changed, but and they've changed, but in different ways. So yeah, trying to adapt back can be uh, kind of interesting. And the idiosyncrasies as well. Think some certain things are very British, and certain things are very American. And when you put those opposites together, it can it can make things, I would say, entertaining. But no, I, I I'm a big fan of Bill Bryson. Mm. Well, maybe you'll have to send me some recommendations. So, yeah, it's it's funny you say that, though, because, I mean, I moved out of Wisconsin. I was out of here. I said, I lived in Idaho. It was 10 out of 11 summers and then six and a half out of eight winters. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was funny when I came back. Like, it was, it was amazing, like, how much it changed, but at the same time, how much didn't change. Yeah. In yeah. a weird way. So, it's like, huh. And, like, I don't know. Like, you always think you're going to come home and forget how to get everywhere. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, I take the street to get. I'm like, oh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and it's also kind of, I'm going to say, you obviously remember people how they were, and obviously those people have changed as well within that time frame as well. And they've had new experiences, um, they've had new relationships, they've had deaths, they've had births, and um, yeah, it is it is different. I, I think that's one good, great thing about social media. It has helped keep me in contact with people that I probably wouldn't have been able to keep uh, in contact with probably 20 years previous to when it was. I was kind of lucky that social media kind of started around that time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It, you know, so, yeah, because I was, uh, I don't want to say I was nomadic, but I was pretty nomadic. Like, I mean, sometimes during the winter, I just would go somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to keep in touch that way. You know, so as much as I hate social media, that is mm-hmm. one of the reasons it's good. So, yeah, I would have had no contact with people in England otherwise. For I, I, in case, and like I wouldn't have made phone calls with them. It's kind of people, people you go to school with. It's kind of a little different. Like you don't see them, but it's nice to know how they're doing and keep right. chatting with them and interacting, and seeing how their lives are going. And uh, yeah, I definitely like, I definitely like that side. Well, if you like that kind of traveling thing, you ask what you can do in England. The thing I used to love to do in England was uh, walk along the south coast. Like I would get up in the morning, catch a ferry, walk 15 miles and then the fo- take a bus back. And then next time I'll do it, I'll take a bus 15 miles, walk for another 15 miles and then take a bus 30 miles. back. if you're if you're that type of explorer, there's a lot of coastline to see in uh, England. And if you got a lot of time, you can walk all the way around it as well. I have no idea how long that takes. But hmm. yeah, it's funny because actually at one point in my life, I always wanted to take like a summer off and walk around Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 1800 miles. So, Ooh. so you do ten miles a day, Jeez. you know. 
That's a. I would never have guessed it so much as that. I was going to say the furthest points in England and Scotland. So not just in England, England to Scotland, Lands End to John O'Groats. I believe that's about eight hundred ninety miles. I think so. That's about nine hundred. So double that. That's like eighteen hundred. I think you're about at the. Uh, I think that's the same point. I would never would have guessed Lake Michigan around that is the is the same distance. No wow. matter what my wife says, it is the largest fresh litter, freshwater lake in the world, all within one country. Huh. But it's still it's still like an eighth of the size of Lake Superior. Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake in the world. Oh, I'm not even close. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, as a straight line, it's six hundred and three miles. Um, but the shortest distance by car is eight hundred and thirty-seven miles. Uh, I, I was I was a little off. I thought it was closer to nine hundred. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's probably true for most places. You can't go direct. You have to follow the. Falls roads and Scotland's kind of um, there's a lot of open space in Scotland and there'd be lots of uh, mountains and stuff that you can't just go through you'd have to go around so isn't there um like a famous trail through England I was reading one time uh there's the Pennine Way I've heard of that there's the Robin Hood Way as well um there's a couple of different trails there is the the coastline path that you can take as well to me that would be the kind of the famous one there. Because um, that used to be broken up, there was places where it kind of disappeared. But I think now you can you can certainly do a lot more than what you could. Hmm. There's a few. There's nothing quite as impressive as the Appalachian Trail, though. Is that something that caught your eye? I mean, I know people have done it. I actually have. I've done probably I think like 40, 50 miles of the Appalachian Trail just on different adventures. Okay. Um, actually, Mount Rogers I was talking about earlier in Virginia is on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, okay. I would just be worried that it's like in literally in the middle of nowhere. If anything went wrong, like you screwed, and um, like you got to carry all your food with you, pretty much, because you're not stopping and getting McDonald's or anything. And I guess you can leave the trail, but there's places where it's just nothingness. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a couple people have done that, and a lot more people actually done the the Pacific Coast Trail. So it's the West Coast version of that. Uh -huh. That's tougher because the mountains are higher. So, um. Yeah, because actually, um, I've got a good friend of mine who works at uh, Arcadia in uh, Maine, which is where the the our Appalachian Trails end on top of uh, Mount Katahdin there out in Maine. So, mm -hmm. I love Maine. So, I'm a big fan. So, we're actually heading out that way. Uh, there's a um, solar eclipse going through northern Vermont and northern, northern Maine next f spring. So, we're going to go grab Will and his wife and head on up there. So We saw the signs for that. Um, we're in the Science Center in Cleveland, and, yeah, they got big things up already for April 2024. So, yeah. Nice. It's going through Ohio, too, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you ever seen a full eclipse? Yeah. Yeah, there was one in uh, Cornwall when I was – I think I was in college. It was probably 90 uh, – 90, ooh, I don't know, 95, 96, something like that. It's something, isn't it? Um, I've I I will never forget that till the day I die. It was it, we were all on the beach and we kind of all waiting to see what happens, and then suddenly the way I was facing was where the shadow suddenly came along, and it went whoosh. It just suddenly went by us, and it just went silent. Like the birds were suddenly chirping, and then suddenly there was nothing. And yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, there was a. Really uh... cool. The big one in 2017 came, it was like totality was literally like 200 yards from my store. Uh -huh. So I, yeah, there's people from all over the world that came over for that. So, and it was cool because Idaho was supposed to start college, start school that day. And they actually canceled school for, from kindergarten all the way up to college. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, 
being a former uh, educator in the state of uh, Idaho, well, educator, I was a teacher's aide, but um, yeah, you're yeah. talking earlier about North Carolina being bad. I'm sure Idaho is pretty bad on that level too. So, mm-hmm. um, I got it wrong. I just looked it up. 1999. So I was actually teaching on the Isle of Wight at that point, but Cornwall was kind of like one of the best places to see it. So I made sure I took a trip over to my parents. Yeah, it's a... visit them at that point. But I, I do remember the story at the time was somebody booked. Somebody went into a hotel like 10 years previously. And said, I would like to book a room for this same day in 10 years' time. And they thought, they were like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And then he explained, he's like, there's going to be a solar eclipse here in 10 years. Because obviously they can do the mathematical models and all that stuff. But people in the media weren't talking about that until it's much closer to the time. But yeah. 10 10 years, that's impressive. So Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. my friend Lori was talking about earlier. She's seen a few of them. I know they went down to Australia for one a couple years ago. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things. Once you've seen one, you're like, I could definitely try and see another one of these things. So, oh sure, you could you could also imagine why thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, when suddenly that happened, people would be seriously freaked out and uh, assume that there's um, a power that wants to uh, expect them to make a sacrifice or something as well. Like yeah. now we understand what it is. It's but, but yeah. It happens so infrequently that it would be really scary if you didn't understand what that was. Well, so especially in one spot, like, I mean, if you don't move from your area, I mean, your chances yeah. of seeing eclipse in your lifetime are correct. Yeah, you might not, yeah, you in some places you might not even see one in your lifetime, but yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Lady Hawk? Speaking of 1980s movies with Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Rutger Hauer, I don't think so. Oh, it's a great movie. I don't know. You don't like American movies, so you might not like it. But I didn't say that. I said <laughs> I, uh, I said I don't like what's considered um, like a classic school American movies. I think that uh, would be more. Yeah, the, no, you, you did. You did say that. So um, the general gist of the story is like, yeah, this girl and this guy they fall in love, but the king loves her, so they put a curse on her. So basically, at night he's a wolf. Oh no! Um, during the day he's a wolf and she's a lady, and mm-hmm. then at night, and then they switch. She's a hawk during the day. And then he's, yeah, then he's a human. So they can never actually touch. And then Eclipse comes and then they're together and they break. Yeah. So it's actually, it's a fan, Matthew Broderick's in it. Very young Matthew Broderick. So now I did see on YouTube recently and I can't remember how I managed. It was one of those rabbit holes that I went down and it was like, do you remember this? And the show that came up, I have never thought about it. And since it came out, and it must have been in the mid '80s, and it's not exactly the same as that. But are you familiar with the show Manimal? No, I was like, oh my god, I've got that. Apparently, it only ran for one series, but yeah, like the guy could turn into like a, a panther, or he could turn into a hawk, and he was like solving crimes and stuff. And having watched it, it was like it was like this show is total garbage. But I remember watching it as a kid. And I was like, man, I have not thought of Manimal in, yeah, since 1985. There's no way I've ever thought about that show since. I just thought that was a made-up word that Rohit Raju called himself, because he calls himself the mo- the Mokaskin Manimal. That's huh. one of his gimm- yeah. But I seem to remember it was like a British aristocrat-type guy as well. Um, huh. I can't remember the actor's name at all. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those some of those shows that came out like the same time as kind of like uh, A Team, Airwolf. Oh, oh, Airwolf was good. Those ones, those ones have kind of survived a little bit more, I guess. But perhaps did not you, Airwolf. 
Did you guys get air uh, a team overcross on the other side of the country or other side of the world? Oh yeah, oh yeah, love it. God, I remember one time Ronald Reagan had to give one of his bullshit speeches and it canceled MacGyver and a team. I was so mad. I was like, "Fuck this old bastard talking on TV." What the hell do I care what he's got to say? I'm a goddamn A team. So I bought some cheap DVDs over COVID of the A team. I was like, "I haven't seen the A team in years. I gotta watch it." The thing I didn't remember was the season finale of A team. It's it's bizarre because it's not even a season finale. Like I don't think I think they were planning on making another series and then it kind of got cancelled or something. And then they were just like, "Well, fuck it, whatever." So the last episode isn't really like even a proper last episode it's it's hmm. yeah it's bad it would be definitely rank as one of the worst ones ever but yeah it was definitely dated but it was it was fun to watch like the the, the relationship between those characters is good like um hannibal smith was still as good as ever yeah. face seems a lot more creepy now in 2020s than mid 80s for sure uh ba is just ba and murdoch's still just funny yeah, well, it's funny you talk about the creepiness. That's what we were talking about. And you can, uh, if anyone listens to um, Graham's appearance on the Ring of Honor Revelry that is dropping uh, this coming Saturday, um, Animal House, like I said, it's a great movie. But yeah, it's pretty fucking rapey. Like, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm sure you know the scenes I'm talking about. I'm like, uh, she's 14. Um, I've only watched it once. And okay, yeah. I, just I forgot it was funny at all. I forgot about that part, and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, this didn't age well. I know so. Um, well, awesome, Graham. This was better than I could have expected, and I knew it would be awesome. Um, you know, you you doubted it, but I, I knew we would come through. So, you know, to twist my arm a little bit, but yeah. Um, but I'm glad we finally got episode three point one four. The pie episode, uh, saved specifically for you. So, um, obviously, I'll put all the links. Obviously, follow Graham at MGB Graham on the Twitter. Uh, make sure you're following the Good Cop, Bad Cop uh, Twitter also. And uh, any other Twitters you want to put over? Jackson's uh, JGB underscore Jackson. Yeah, he's he's really the important one. Like I, I'm just here to kind of keep them one guy. That Jackson's pod. As much as I love Matt, and as much as I love Good Cop, Bad Cop wrestling. And as much as I'm enjoying, really enjoying having Ryan on that one, there's nothing that beats recording with your son, talking about no. baseball. Like no, it's I... on a totally different level. Like talking to him is not the same as talking to an adult. When you listen, when you see things through a child's eyes, like when I'm talking to him, like what I perceived as something is not the same as what he perceived at all. And I love listening to that. Whereas I pretty much know that. The guys are gonna what the guys are gonna think about Cody's documentary when I talk about him tomorrow. Like I kind of already know most of that stuff, or what Ryan thinks about nineteen ninety eight WWE. I already know. Like it's, but now that, that that's definitely uh yeah. So yeah, and Matt's really good at promoting them. Whenever Matt makes an appearance on another podcast, um, he was like, oh yeah, I promoted him, and I was like, no, you didn't. And then when I listened to, the podcast, I was like, oh my god, he did. He always shouts out JGB underscore Jackson. So another reason to love Matt because he's always really good with doing things like that as well. And if it wasn't for Jackson and Graham going to Georgetown, I never would have known that the Georgetown Hoyas colors were a attempt at unification after the Civil War. That's that fact to this day is still honestly boggle. It's really cool. I mean, it's one of those that things where it's like really stuck with you. Fuck yeah, that shit. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just one of those like it's like huh? I mean because I mean I can't imagine. I mean, obviously, people say the country's divided now. But I can't imagine how it was back then. I mean, uh, these people tried to secede. You know, they were killing each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, literally. 
I might have mentioned, I don't know if it was in the pre-record or on the actual episode, I did tell Jackson that you were really impressed with that fact and that you listened nice. to our episodes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, so I have not missed one. So, um, I mean, shout out to Chad. He does make it easy. So just dump. And they still download it. It's nice because he actually, because I use an old iPhone 4 as in my iPod. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, nice. And I, just, I still have iTunes, like the Apple or the iTunes podcast thing. Yeah. So not a lot of the podcasts I listen to don't download on that anymore. So, yeah. hmm. so subscribe to Visionaries Global Media and all that stuff is right there for you. Yeah, it's that's true. So easy to do. Yeah, and rate and review as well. Jesus Christ, nobody's rated and reviewed in like two years. Like, just click five stars and tell us that you love Visionaries Global Media. Like, you know how that everyone knows how those algorithms work. Like, stop listening to that music and not reacting to it. You obviously like listening to it. It takes ten seconds to do rate and review, guys. Come on, do it. Yeah, and it's funny. I don't think actually I have, but I don't know because and I've tried, <laughs> but you out really. But my well, my iTunes list. I try to go in there and rate everything, but then it just like kicks me out. So then I tried. It, yeah, it's weird. So I should stop making excuses. So I try and do it um, because I know it helps people, and I know I remember when we saw our first when MGB when we saw our first review on that. That was so cool, particularly when it was not from a family member because we knew who those were, but when it was from a random person who said we really enjoyed the podcast, keep up the good work, blah blah blah. That's that makes such a difference when somebody does that. And it takes so little effort to do. Um, and you you mean you shouted me out on Twitter saying I'm really good at doing that. I've been really bad at doing that this year. Uh, yeah. but I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and make a better effort to do that. But yeah, those those episode one podcasts, still like looking out for those, still like listening to them. Any support, like I just remember the support that MGB yeah. in those early days, people retweeting who didn't probably didn't even listen necessarily, but uh, people who gave positive feedback and people who tried to. Because I know for most adults, why would you want to listen to a podcast with a ten-year-old kid? Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But people tried us out, and um, um, his theory was that it would be good to have a, like a generational podcast. The differences between an mm-hmm. adult thinking and a kid, and he was right. He was spot on, and that's what Ch- that's what Chad said appealed to him as well. The idea of a totally different pod, and it kind of was at the time very different from any other podcast that was out there. Because um, normally it's people of a very similar age chatting, so. Yeah, and uh, well, it's funny you say that too because I'm I'm trying to convince a friend of mine. He's getting his kid into like independent wrestling and stuff like that. He's actually uh, lives just outside of DC, um, but I'm trying to get him on for a, like him and his kid on for a watch along. Yeah. Um, so Jackson or Mason, if you guys ever want to do, I mean, your my forum is your forum, Graham. Anything you ever want to do, you just let me know so I can make it work. So Hudson Hawk. We are going to do Hudson Hawk. That is going to happen. I promise. I promise. Prom- I can't promise it'll happen in 2023. Um, but it definitely is on the list. Like I said, I've got three or I, four I movies. might have to find something else because Will Marty mentioned that you always watch things twice, and I can tell you weren't that enthused by it on the first watch through. So well, I mean, it's find something else. Well, no, it, no, I'll, I'll, no, I'll do it. It's, it's trust me, Graham. I, I mean, I'm a man of my word. Um, <laughs> well, I said, listen, I did, you know, Death of Smoochie, my buddy Ian. Uh, shout out to Marvelous Ethan Matthews if you're not following him. A uh, great wrestler, up and comer. Uh, for sure, but I hated it the first time I watched it. But I went through and listen because I, I mean, I'll do a deep dive on it. And I'll get it on DVD and I'll listen to commentary and like, I mean, like you said, and kind of get like the feel. Like, I mean, like when I watched Death the Smoochie and like listening to them, like, oh, see, I was viewing it this way, but this is their intention, so this doesn't suck as bad. And I had not- Robin Williams in it, so how the fuck can you not look at Robin Williams movie? 
Now, I'm yeah. not sure if I have the English version or the American version. I'm not sure if they're the same necessarily, but I can. The I haven't watched it in the show. I haven't watched it in a, the film. I haven't watched it in at least five to ten years, and the commentary I probably haven't watched in fifteen years. But I can tell you exactly what they say on the commentary at the start for it. It's like we know this film did really bad in America, but it was really popular in Europe. <laughs> so I've only met one person in America who said they liked Hudson Hawk. Everyone else hates it. And most people in England hate it as well. Or they've never seen it or have no idea what the film is. But... I might have seen it in the movie theater. Oh, wow. It came out, maybe. Oh, wow. Possibly, so I'm not sure. So, But you're a big um, Bruce Willis fan, so that I do love. I do love the Bruce Willis. That's um, probably what got most people to watch it. But yeah, um, it's no Die Hard, that's for sure. But... Well, and it's funny because Bruce Willis owned the movie theater that Faith and I used to go to when we lived in Idaho. Really? Wow. Yeah, because yeah, he's got a, he's got a couple bars and movie th- theaters out there. But I like Bruce Willis before that. But yeah, the uh-huh. funny stories I always tell is my um my mom was kind of weird's not the right word. I mean, obviously, you don't want your kids watching certain things. Yeah. Like you remember the movie Stand by Me? Obviously, yeah. Uh, you know, my mom didn't want me to watch the part where they actually show the body. Yeah. Um, actually, funny enough, Lady Hawk. There's a scene where they're hanging people. I think we talked about this in the Die Hards when we did Die Hard, but the one scene my, of that whole fucking movie my mom didn't want to watch is a part where the terrorists first come in and they rip that guy and girl out and she's got her boobs hanging out. That was the <laughs> only thing it. my mom didn't want me to see. <laughs> there's people dying, there's blood and guts everywhere, there's cussing and swearing, but... Uh, CIA, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that was the one thing I was like... Mom, I love you. So, I mean, in her defense, I mean, yeah, it was it was a tough time for her, but um, I don't even know if she remembers that. So, um, but Graham, th- this was awesome. Um, I mean, we're probably putting two and a half hours of content here. Um, so I would definitely recommend people listen at two and a half speed. You know, like we or yeah. two speed. I was not. Be done. Minimum I, I, of times two. Minimum of times two. I, I try not to go higher than two. Selected as well. Do you have smart speed? I don't even know what that is. It edits out the gaps. So if there's like a gap in the conversation, it skips that and then gets straight to the next bit. That really speeds it up. So you can put, so if it's a two hour podcast and you listen to it at times two, you're thinking it's an hour. If you watch it at times two, listen to it at times two with smart speed on, you're listening to it in less than an hour. It skips sections out when there's no talk. It's revel. That's how I get through so many podcasts. It's not just the speed, it's the smart speed that's important. Uh, that might just be on iPods. I don't know. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's not on most things. So if you're listening on Spotify, bad luck. You're not getting that. Hmm. But on iPods, it's uh, revolutionary. There's certain podcasts that have like 10 second gaps. Like people don't care. There's no, it's not an uncomfortable silence. It's just like, yeah, we'll just see what happens. And on those podcasts, it just goes, skips straight to the, it obviously analyzes the volume. And if there's no volume, it goes, that's irrelevant. And then skips straight to the next part. Brilliant. That's the way to listen to podcasts, I'm telling you. Well, we had a good 10, 15 seconds with no talking yesterday when I discovered your disgust of olives, so. <laughs> I didn't do any screenshots today. No, no, there was nothing really upset me today, so. Uh, but, Graham, yeah, this is awesome. We will definitely have to, um, obviously, a uh, good cop, bad cop, um, origin story. Uh, but yeah, high fivers. Make sure you are following uh, everybody in the show notes here. Um, actually, obviously, make sure you're following Visionaries Global Media, and uh, we'll talk to everybody. Hopefully, the next chopping it up uh, is not three months from now. Uh, I got some people lined up, so uh, we'll talk to everybody later. This has been a Visionaries Global Media production. Visionaries Global Media envisioning excellence on a global scale.